Hey, welcome to Tone Talk with Mark Uzanski and Dave Friedman. It's episode 47, and uh, we have got a great guest tonight, Michael Nielsen from Big Hairy Guitars and uh, Ninja Tracks. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for uh, letting me come and chat with you guys. Oh, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. Dave, how's it going? It's good. Everything's great. Good to hear. Good to hear. Another Friday. It's a long weekend, and I'm cracking open this beer, just especially for you guys. Um, <laughs> uh, I keep the video keeps uh, putting you in twice and not Michael for some reason. Now I've got all four of you guys in here. I need to be louder or brighter. Just be louder. Let me show you what I got. Hang on. Okay. Oh, these are your buds. All right. So I got this beautiful tequila Ooh. classe azul. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's expensive. Yeah, it was a birthday present from my partner, and it is the best sipping tequila I've ever tried. It is amazing. Wow. Yes, that's uh, that's amazing. Or Don Julio, 1942. Okay, 1942. I'm making note of that. Those are the two that are really, really the best sipping, but then also uh, a, a cheaper second to those would be Fortaleza, Reposado. I've- Never heard of that one. They, well, they have three, of course, but the, the Reposado of Fortaleza is amazing. That's only like a 60-some dollar bottle. I'm scared to ask how much the the Azul is here. Um, have you ever tried a um, – oh, I, I figured as much. Yeah, 125, uh, 130, something, maybe something like that. Same thing with the 1942. Uh, have you had a Paloma? It's like the poor man's uh, uh, margarita. You have to get squirt, just like the oh, old yeah. ladies, and then you just squirt tequila and lime, yep, and ice. It's amazing. Oh yeah, that's great. Yep, huh. so good. You just yeah. destroy them. It's refreshing. And then, yes, and then you got all the sugar and alcohol, and you'll just be—you won't sleep. You'll just be yeah racing. I have to avoid the sugar. Yeah. 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 Um, dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you had a Palma? It's like. All right. Oh, you started the video. Oh. Um, yep, don't mind me. I fixed it. <laughs> oh, I was like, did I just say that again? I was like, oh, deja, deja vu. Well, I can only I can only mute it so fast. I know. <laughs> you can get you can only get to it. Yeah, I know. Um, so, Michael, you are you you live close by to Dave, or you guys are close by, right? Yeah, I'm uh, in 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 Encino, which is like the four hundred five and the one hundred one. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, this is where the studio is, and I live five minutes from here. So my kid's school is two minutes from Dave, um, which is kind of why it's easy. I just peek over there and go like, hey, this is new. Hang on. <laughs> so like, where is it? You go, hey, this is new. Do you want to? You want me to make a video for that? Yes. No more. Like, I'll just take it off your desk. Perfect. He just steals it, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> may or may not bring it back uh, a year later. That's okay. It's okay. I have something more valuable, though. Of his. Yes. I, collateral. Collateral. Oh, that's yes. nice. Well, and, and a Wagner ecstasy. Yes, he got a couple of things. Which, by the way, is done also. Oh, fantastic. 
Next week, I'll, I'll come by. Next week. Sweet. You better make it Tuesday because I'm out of town after that. Okay. I'll make a point. Um, so, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I, I'm just going to tangent mm. the whole time. Mm-hmm. Tangent. So Dave, is mod- Dave is modifi- has modified my Saldano preamp channel 2, which channel 2 is just pretty much a worthless transition between 1 and 3. You talk- I Not saw now. that in a video of yours. You talked about that. You were kind of like, I think you had that preamp in a video, right? Yeah, a couple. It's, it's the weirdest choice. I, I don't know how like they ended up on that channel 2 and decided like that's the ticket. Uh, I mean, two channel threes would have been a much better way to go, but I can't wait to hear what Dave did. Hmm. Oh, I think channel two might sound better than channel three now. <laughs> it's gonna be a long weekend. I was pretty, I was pretty happy with that. By the way, I'm here tomorrow too. If you want to come get it. Oh yes, I'm, I will do that. I'll soon. <laughs> you know, it's sorry, fam. I'll, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, like I gotta work. It's it's uh, work related. Yeah, don't worry. I'll be back. Just give me two hours. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you guys, this is actually an interesting topic because uh, I talked about it with a, a local guy who just helped me um, finish up a build that I just did, which Michael and I will we'll, we'll talk about as well. Um, but uh, we were talking about how guitar players or musicians, I guess, but guitar players more so than anyone are so impatient and just want their stuff fast, you know? Um why is that? That never happened. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? I mean, you I'm sure you experience that with everybody, Dave, right? Oh, everyone wants it now, yeah, sure. And then <laughs> and then there's the guys that really need it now, touring guys. Right. You know, who really want it now. Sometimes with no zero uh amount of time to do it in. Mm-hmm. It's just something you uh to cope with over the years <laughs> yeah so i i'm uh dave probably doesn't remember the first time i met him he modded a randall i think it's called a rm 100 it was a white uh, i think two or three module like the like the synergy style um modular ahead so he modded that and made a um a early be sort of module for me and that was at a different shop long long ago okay. You're right. I don't remember that. I wouldn't think so because I barely saw you, and I was, it was a little like, oh, "There's Dave Friedman," because <laughs> I knew of him before. Um, oh God! I I used to work at this studio, and um, I think it was Chris Christopher Cross, uh, you know, Salem Christopher Cross. He had a room at that same at the same building. Oh, I know. I remember that over on Ventura Court. Right? Yep. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, so I was upstairs, and there was a bunch Remember of... the Good Earth. Yep. yep. R.I.P. Good Earth. Um, so Christopher Cross was saying, like, oh, you, you're talking gear, and I had no idea. He's, like, the, the biggest guitar, like, super guitar nerd, uh, totally into all that stuff. And he was like, oh, you should have your... Uh, get your basement modded by Dave, or get, get something modded by, by Dave. It's starting to ring a bell now. And he, at the time, he was saying, he's like, it's, he might be hard to track down because, like, he, Dave, last I heard, Dave was in the studio with the offspring, and he had to just stay there the whole time while they tracked to make sure the guitars. Yes, that, that was that was the conspiracy of one record. 
with Brendan O'Brien. Oh my God! You got to see a Brendan O'Brien production. Yes. Oh wow! I was there time. Yeah, I was there a couple times with Brendan O'Brien without another record too. Wait, no, wait. That was the only record he did. Oh, I did something else with him too. Oh, Brendan's awesome. Oh, that's so cool. I still I don't even know what he looks like. He's yeah, I mean, very, Bre- like Brendan is super cool, uh, and works really fast. Hmm. There's not really there's he doesn't hem and haw like you're doing guitar sounds and you put an amp up and if it's not cutting it within like a couple minutes that amp's gone it's out really because he knows right away it's either going to cut it or it's not going to cut it and and it's like it, it goes away quick no you're not going to sit there and twiddle with it forever if it's either it gets the sound fast or not and uh and mike's all guitar cabinets with a 421 and a 57 Really? And, uh, you know, 57, little right on the, you know, little off center, and 421 dead center. Oh, uh, I've never put a 421 dead center. 421 dead center, hmm. 57, where you think it would be right on, right where the dust cap meets the, you know. Ah. Were you there for any Stone Temple Pilots session? No, but I've known those guys for a million years. Mm. That Interesting uh, you brought that up, because... He does the same, he does the same exact guitar miking and stuff and everything it's like it's not rocket science <laughs> sounds so good though and what were uh, you gonna say mark well i was watching the rick beato video that he put out today on stone temple pilots to break down and he mentioned that uh brendan o'brien uh produced that so yeah so yeah, yeah. The, the tone was great. amazing great thing about brandon is he doesn't overthink things and he doesn't polish things too much Hmm. Uh, so, you know, the stuff he does has a raw element to it. Like, I don't know if you remember the band Incubus. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So, <clears throat> Incubus at first was produced by someone else, and then Brendan got uh, got a hold of them and totally changed how they sounded completely. It yeah, was he made them, like, organic instead organic of... Organic raw, yeah. New metal. Of, he took all the new metal out. Instead mm-hmm. of rectifying. He made it more vintage Marshall and 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 AC thirties, you know, and um, Megalomaniac. That was the song. Whatever whatever record that was off of with them, um, and it was just raw sounding and just in your face. And that's what he does well. He's so good. Yeah, but it, it sounds I, like he labors over it. I'm surprised that he works quickly. It sounds like it's oh it, no, fast and, down and dirty and quick. Hmm. Oh wow. The, the mixing too is like down dirty quick, you know. Like it's it's like throw them up, get it good sounding, and go for it. Mm. You know, he knows what he wants, but he knows how to get the drums quick too, and everything. You know, he knows exactly what they use all the time, and lots of room mics, and you know. Yeah, his drum sounds are the maybe the I, best. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's because that room that room sounds that he always puts in, you know, or plates, mm-hmm. you know. Oh. Was that in L.A. that you you did that stuff with him? Yeah, I was down at uh, uh, Henson Studios. Oh, that's oh. nice. Might have been A&M at the time, but in the room A, the big room. Wait, room A? Uh, might have been room D. Can't remember. Is that the little room? You know, 
I think it was D. He liked to work in the room in the back. I like think past that, the big room, around down the hallway, and in the back. I think that was D. I was there at Henson um, visiting a buddy of mine who was recording, and Megadeth was tracking guitars in there. They had the small room, and they must have had sixteen four by twelves up, and they right. were all mics. And then I heard the record afterwards. It was a worse sound of record. Like it was such a bummer. Like you could just use one one cab. It would have sounded much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, just I, I learned from him. Just don't overthink things. You know, just go. And uh, and I'll, that was also I remember watching because Josh Freeze played on that record. Oh, Conspiracy One was Josh Freeze completely. Oh wow! And watching Josh, you know, they would do four takes of one song live track uh, with the band at least and uh, then they'd go back and redo the guitars and stuff but they you know the bass and well sometimes the bass got redone too but at least the drums were playing to a band at the time and uh, and yeah he, he did four just because for grins because everyone was perfect I, yeah yeah, I mean, everyone was perfect, and he's like, well, that one's fine, that one's fine. <laughs> oh, we'll just have to do it two more times. <laughs> case yeah, there's, there's, some there's little that level of guy that's just something. nuts. Yeah, because I remember in one song in particular, he was telling Josh, yeah, so in the in the verse, can you hit the, literally in the middle of the song, he goes, okay, this time in the verse, hit the snare on the outside, and in the choruses, hit the snare dead center. Hmm. And I watched Josh like a machine just change it up. And sure enough, that was great. You, you, you could definitely hear the difference in, in what it was doing. But he was like a machine, just change it up. It's amazing to watch. Yeah, he's so good. Yeah. Totally. He's out with Sting now. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. I've known him since he was like 15. Really? Oh, no way. Josh Freeze yeah. is playing with Sting? Yeah. He, yeah, yeah wow. Josh, I, I remember when he was 15 and playing at Disneyland. Oh, you go way back. Yeah. That's super wow. cool. He used to play in a band with a friend of mine that I used to work with. So that's how I met him. And he was 15 at the time. Or 16 or something. And he was still playing at Disneyland. And he was probably amazing at six, 15 or something. He was good there. But I'm telling you, when he got... He was a great punk drummer back then, you know. Really squirrely and fast and great. But where he really got great is when he put, when he um, started playing with Perfect Circle, mm. because then he got that heavy-handed, thick beat. Like he got that part of his playing down, so then he could do either. And and once he got that, that was the whole. It was amazing watching him play with Perfect Circle. Yeah, those first two records are so good. And then when he's not with them, the other drummer that they have is really great. But it's so tangible. He's one of the most like mm. tangible drummers. When you pull him out yeah. of the scenario, you're like, oh, something changed. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not the same without Josh there. Yeah. All right. So, perfect circle. How did uh, you? I'm going to ask you about the naked uh, head. How did yeah. that? How did that come to be? Uh, it came to be Billy Howardell tried a nailer amplifier. Like, uh, like a super drive. Super drive sixty. Really liked a lot about it and but he wanted it a hundred watt and asked me to you know can you put the nailer preamp in this marshall kind of thing 
So I modified a head for him with the nailer front end, maybe a few changes to it, uh, and the power section of the Marshall, but with the feedback loop of the nailer. So it, it kind of became this modded Marshall. And then he asked me, well, can you make me an amp? So then I cloned that amp, and he still uses those amps to this day. Sounds so heavy, though. That's not something I would have associated with a nailer. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's, it's really, well, it's a combination of his tuning and his guitar. So he tunes the C-sharp. C yeah. And the, the particular guitar he has, the, his main guitar was a, an old Les Paul that he had gotten from... Um, Trent, right? Trent Reznor, and he, well, he got the pieces from Trent Reznor, <laughs> and it, it was a headstock, actually, he glued a headstock off a different guitar back onto this guitar. Oh, wow. So, and it's at the wrong pitch, too. It's at oh. a flat pitch, not as, as angled as the later ones were. So it's more like a vintage pitch now with it, and so that was all epoxied together. Wow. And then he used Tom Anderson H, I think H3 plus pickups or something. Can't quite remember which model, but I think it was the, it was the old Tom Andersons with big pole pieces. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, H3 plus, it was kind of a hot pickup. Not something I would normally like, but with that amp, that pickup, and drop to C sharp, it is jaw dropping to hear it. In person. Mm. Mm. By the I way, Pete, Pete Thorne's in the chat. Uh, hey, Pete. And uh, he says, uh, Freeze's dad was the head of all music at Disneyland, all the bands. Yeah. yeah. And that's why Jason oh. and Josh are, I guess he meant uh, bad mofos, uh, super musical family, he said. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, my buddy Tom Wolf is in the uh, chat. What's up, Tom? Um, so that's that's cool. I had no idea. So, so, um, yeah. but the naked never got into production, though, right? You didn't... No, it did. Oh, it did. It did. Um, it, but uh, it wasn't a huge seller, so I discontinued it. Uh, but it could be made again. <laughs> it's that's one of those like that has a mystique to it that I'm just dying to hear it in person. Mm. That's kind of how I felt about the Bogner fish. Like just no one had one and it was so pretty and it, it was mysterious because they had these crazy names and the graphics and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's worth what I paid for it. I'm sure the naked is, but um, you could definitely tell how like the, the preamps have evolved afterwards. Like the fish yeah. super cool for a sound but it's like it's it's here and it needed to to get here to compete with like amps today mm -hmm. like am i i could be wrong about that but well you've got it i mean you've got plenty of to compare it to as well right so yeah i mean even if you just i think look at the timeline of, of the preamps and stuff it was like the like the agnator that came later like that sounds really refined and, and super finished and dialed in mm -hmm. the first one was Solano. Right, but in the, but that had that channel too. That's a that's a dog on it. Yeah, I mean the first. I mean, well, the first. Well, not the first one. I, uh, some of the boogie stuff might have been before that. Okay, so I went looking. The Quad, first I could yeah, find right. is 
the Lee Jackson. Like, he claims to have the first production preamp. No. I don't think so. Maybe. It was like 85, 86? Mm. I guess so. You're right. That was before Saldana. So Lee Jackson had it, was, it first. It was a one yeah, channel. But it wasn't that good. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird. It's real weird. I find some of his amps much better, but um, I'm not sure about that one. Yeah. Uh, but, but then when did the quad preamp come out? Uh, not far after that in time. Like, right. I was looking that. It said the quad and the studio, I think, came out about the same time. No, I think quad was first. Oh, was it? Mm-hmm. I remember when the studio was popular. It was about the same time the Soldano came about. And at the so time... I, I mean, I was working I was working at Andy Brower Studio Rentals in 19, late 1987, 88. So... 87. Okay, so you were, you're in the sweet spot of that. So I saw, the, I saw the Luke the Luke prototype black Soldano preamp that he had in his rack with an H and H power amp. Uh, Did all the cartridge for that. But I remember that I remember at the time the, 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 the quad was around. Yeah. I never played the, I have still to this day. I haven't uh, played a quad. I have the studio. Quad was okay. If, if you, you know, set the graphic EQ properly, like most boogies scooped. <laughs> Hey, we got a, a cool comment from uh, Wyatt Willis. Curious if you know uh, either one of you guys. Uh, anyone know what the Cantrell mod was for the Fish preamp? A lot of noisy gain. It was the 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 Shark Channel that was called, wasn't it? I think, and it was uh, modded. It was the bottom channel of the preamp. I'm not looking at it right now. I, can't, I haven't seen it for years. Oh, hang on. I ha I've got it over here. There. <laughs> uh, it's so a the shark channel. channel. Yeah, the bottom channel there is what was modded, and it was super high gain. And um, although he used he used the other channels more, so. I remember that. The shark channel's real weird on its own. It has bass and treble, and then like a presence, three position presence it's switch. It's really bizarre, that channel. And sometimes I think it's designed for like a big, heavy, grungy sound. And then other times I think it was designed to try and be like a, a blackface or cranked blackface thing. But it's right. really hard to dial in. Yeah, that wasn't the highlight of the preamp. The, I mean, the brown channel probably was the highlight, or whatever the other channel. Channel. Yeah. What What are they called on that one? I I get it confused with the first preamp. Sorry. Brown and Strato. Yeah, the brown. The brown was the the, the one pretty much. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And even I, that, it doesn't sound like a brown first, sound. I remember when he first got. I was there when he first got the Bogner preamp. When Jerry did, yeah, making oh, music, really? sold him the Bogner preamp. Wait, wait, so you wait, you got to start back in the beat. J Jerry Cantrell, young Jerry Cantrell walks in. Young Jerry Cantrell and Lane Staley sitting in the demo room, uh, and we figured out that what he liked was the um, 
the Bogner preamp, one cabinet with 25 greenbacks, one cabinet with vintage 30s, and the stereo power amp at the time, which I think first it was a VHT and Later, it became a MOS valve, and then later after that, it was a, a Boogie uh, 292, I think. Mm. So, yes, we sold it to them. That's rad. And then later, a little bit later for the Wood record, I did the whole back line for, for Alice in Chains, including a vocal rack for Lane Staley. Like with effects and stuff? Yeah. Hmm. That is so cool. That yep. MOS valve uh, power amp is not to offend anyone if they have it and use it and get a good sound, but it's terrible. <laughs> oh, I don't, no, no, I don't think so. I have really? one. I have yeah. one. I have one. I, I, I use it for a wet, dry, wet setup. Uh, and I'd be fine for that. It's fine for, for sure. that, but uh, okay. But go ahead, Dave. What were you going to say about it? Uh, Jerry used it for a lot, long time with a, the Bogner preamp. That was the, the preamp when you went to the music stores that they had in their preamp rack, they'd had the Moss valve and then they typically would have like the giant, the triple giant from Hafler an 88 MP one and a Marshall preamp. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of it. That was maybe a group. I had one for a while and I got rid of it after I did all the demos and stuff. Cause I'm like, it's, I don't know. I probably would like it. That happens. I sell it and then I buy it. The Moss valve. What was I doing? Yeah. Yeah, actually. Uh, I like mine. Tad, I, I like mine. Could use a tad more low end, but yeah. Could you? I don't know. Coming uh, off of the VHTs, it's just to me, it's always hard to come yeah. go back to the. Well, the VHT is very hyped, though. A lot of yeah. low, a lot of highs, very hyped. It, it didn't really sound like a Marshall, and the and the Moss valve sounded a little more like a Marshall power section. Hmm. Not exactly, but a little more like it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, the twenty one fifty is super scoop. Of course, then again, I'm talking from experience from uh, many years ago. <laughs> so I haven't heard one actually in person for a long time. Could the Mosfell be used with uh, the Synergy preamps? Sure. Yeah, it could be. Okay. I may have to say. Or you can just get the Synergy power. Right, but uh, yeah, but I already have the the Moss valve, so. Oh, Mike, uh, someone in the chat, says, Mike Provost, Provost said, what do you think about the Rivera TBR-1M? I happened to have bought one when I was maybe 18 or 19 over at, uh, it was I think it was called the Amp Shop in sort of almost Winneka, Canoga Park. No, uh, I was, um, it was right next to where Norms rocks. used to be. No, it was right next to where oh. Norms was. There's Norms was on the corner, and then like two tiny little shops in. There was a little tiny amp shop in there. Mm, not sure. Well, they had a Mesa Boogie Mark III or the Rivera, and I had a choice, 800 bucks either one. So I got this Rivera, not realizing that the M was their like Fender style one and not their high gain mm. uh, right. one that like Skid Row used and Saigon Kick and John Sykes or. Uh, I, I, says he used it but uh so it was always just trying to get gain out of that thing but it was the clean sound was was really sweet hmm. and it weighs like 150 pounds and it's made of just pure steel so it sounds good but i would never want to move it 
there's a, a, a cool comment here. Uh, interesting comment. I, I, Dave, I want your thoughts on this. Uh, from Ken952GTR, 30th anniversary of uh, VHOU812. I heard Ed used a Cameron preamp in an effects loop of Marshall borrowed from Lou Cather. Any confirmation? Uh, no. I, no. <laughs> he, he, he used... He used, and no, it wasn't on that record either. He used um, a custom audio electronics preamp into the power section of an amp from Steve Lukather on the on a couple songs on the uh, on the fuck record. But he's never used a Cameron amp. No. Yeah. No. Yes. Oh, you ate one, Marshall. Old Marshall. Per- through his Bradshaw. That's personally my favorite Sammy album. So, Mark, when did you get into Van Halen? Like, what what was your, like, oh, there's this band called Van Halen? Oh, it was back in the 80s. I mean, I, I mean, I was in camp, uh, like, 1980, and we were listening to Eruption and, you know, stuff like that. So, it, but I wasn't, like... A huge fan. Then 1980. I mean, I was a big fan, but like it wasn't like you know like fandom uh, or a big passion of mine. But then 1984 came out, and all the videos of MTV, and that was like my whole generation. You know, that was like everything to me. I mean, I just sat and watched MTV all day. You know, like all Saturdays and at night, and had friends come over and we watched the videos. And so it was all about you know that whole time. And uh, so Van Halen was huge, and then. They broke up, so I never, I never went to go see them with Sammy at all. Um, and then when they got back together in two thousand seven, was it? Um, that's when like my interest got all back again. I'm like, Dave's back. I'm fucking going. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to Charlotte. I'm, I flew there. I couldn't get anybody to go with me. I flew there by myself. Uh, went to the show. To see the to see the opening show because I was like I was convinced it wasn't going to get past like three shows, <laughs> you know. I was like, I'm going to the first one because in case it completely implodes, uh, I'm going. So that so I went to the first show and and that and since then I've been just like and you know I wasn't into playing guitar back then in the '80s. So um, so that's that now you know back in 2007 I was already playing guitar and. So I was like, I got to get back and I got to start playing some Van Halen stuff. So what about you? When did you get into Van Halen? Cause I know you're a fan. Yeah, I was a super fan. But like as a kid, I was always aware of it in the videos. But it really struck me uh, around the 5150 OU812 era. Mm. And I went back and I was like, oh, my God, look at all these albums that I have to like digest. This is incredible. That's amazing. Yeah, and that's I good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, but I didn't realize I'd go through and be like, did they, is this original song? There's so many covers. I'm like, wow, these guys are the best writers ever. All these other people covered their songs too <laughs> you know, as a kid. Yeah. They Dance did. In the night away. They did do a lot of covers. I, I, you know, a lot. They did. They really did. I mean, even their first album had, well, at least you really got me. I don't know any, anything else on that. It was a cover, but a lot of covers. For an original band, a lot of band, most bands in, around that time didn't come out with with cover songs on their albums. Well, I like a lot of keyboards and stuff too, so like I'm happy with the the later stuff. And I had no, 
I was young enough to just go like, oh, that's what it is. There's a new singer. I didn't have like a strong opinion on a uh, Dave versus Sammy. Yeah, for me, it was like I was anti Sammy for a while. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like all my friends went to go see the Monsters of Rock. I remember in Miami, a bunch of my friends went to go see. It. I was like, nope, I'm not going to see it. I regret it now. I mean, shit. I wish I had gone because to me, it's all about Eddie. It had nothing to do with the singer. I should have gone just to go see Ed. That's that's the story of uh, of, of uh, from a different podcast of Jake with, uh, and Monsters of Rock with uh, with uh, Eddie and the and the big the big rails. <laughs> Look back and you can see what we're talking about. <laughs> oh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Won't go into that again. No, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That was. <laughs> um, yeah, but the Monsters of Rock. I wish I had seen it because I think that was with Metallica. Right and uh, who else was with them? Slayer or I forget. Do you know? I think Ozzy. That Monsters of Rock. Was it? Too. Was it Ozzy? It was. It eight, must have been. It was eighty-eight. Well, yeah, you're right because that's what Jake said. Right. So yeah. So Michael, let's talk about you because I want to hear about sure. how you got into playing guitar. How you got because you're a producer. You uh, you have Ninja Tracks, which I understand does uh production and uh com- composition for uh movies soundtracks as well as uh video games so you that that's i think you like your uh your passion your day job i think i don't know yeah and then you also have your big hairy guitars uh channel on youtube which i think you know a lot of people know and love if you don't subscribe to that channel make sure you do everybody go to big hairy guitars on youtube and subscribe uh, it's really great videos, uh, really great channel. He does some great videos of reviews and stuff. So how'd you get into all this stuff? Take us from the beginning. Um, yeah, so uh, the beginning was like seventh grade and just fell in love with guitar. A kid uh, brought me over to his house. He's like, check this out. He's like, I just want you to I remember the moment. He, he's like, I just don't think I'm like a heavy metal guy or anything, but check this out. And he put on the White Snake 87 album. And my jaw dropped, and I was just like, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so I guess it was around 86, 87, where, like, guitar really hit me. I always like music, but... Um, so, yeah, then it was just guitar land uh, through high school. And in college, it was hitting that transition of, like, all right, well, it turns out I'm not going to be Ozzy's guitar player. Clearly, I'm not that good. <laughs> and... Um, music is changing also. And I liked it. I was young enough to go like, well, okay, I like this grunge stuff too. Now I need to figure out how to play a little more sloppy and, and put a little more like heart and soul into my playing. Um, so I feel like I'm in a, I'm grateful for that time now because like I have this eighties thing that I love, which is very precise and tight. And then also the just dirty, sloppy, simple stuff from the nineties, um, that has really panned out. Uh, later and that's kind of the side I use more than not in uh, in work anyway so in college I met this guy um, who wanted to be a composer and he ended up uh, he ended up becoming a composer uh, he's this guy Brian Tyler and he, he scored he scored a ton of movies now uh, Fast and the Furious and Thor and that stuff so um, as he started taking off I was like well I think I could do this myself too I, I'd like to do it so I started doing music production and I had a couple friends and uh, 
we worked at Guitar Center and we we're like, hey, we, you know, let's uh, let's form a music production company. And so we did, and they had some contacts, and we started writing songs and that. And you know, I was coming from the like, I know the keys of E minor, <laughs> and I know the key of A minor, pretty darn well. Uh, and now I have to try and write a song for uh, the new TLC album, or try and pitch a song for that. So it's, my whole life has been a lot of trial by fire after that point. And, um, you know, we did pretty well as a production company. We um, never had a lot of radio success, but I had a lot of success licensing my music into movies. So we did stuff for, like, The Bahamen, which was right after Who Let the Dogs Out. So I didn't get the radio hit, but then we got, like, music in the Scooby-Doo movie and Crocodile Hunter and... Um, we we were working with uh, Kenny Loggins, who's like a songwriting hero of mine, mm. doing pre-production for his album. We did pre-production um, for Barry Manilow, and we did uh, tour music production for Lenny Kravitz. And um, so it's like it's amazing when you get to be around people that are at such a high level, especially young, because at some point you start thinking like, well, it must be a trick. Like there's, there's trickeration involved in this. And then they sit in front of you and they play a song. You're like, Oh no, it's not a trick at all. You're, you're on some other level. Right. Like any yeah. log plays a song on a piece of car and you're like, yeah, that's, that's it. That's it. Um, yeah. So, um, but during that time, I, we, we, um, we did some cool stuff and after we broke up there, like I was still on that path, but it was such a shitty time in music. Like it was when every, 14 year old girl on a TV show was trying to have an album mm -hmm. and I rarely got to play guitar. Um, but, uh, I met this guy, Philip Sace, who I don't know if any of you guys know Philip Sace, who's a monster, uh, blues rock mm -hmm. player. And we hit it off like, uh, like long lost friends. And, um, so I produced, um, and a couple of his albums, and um mark you should check him out he's he's amazing he's a fire breather mark you don't know who philip says is i don't oh my jesus i'm gonna yeah. look him up right now he's a beast like he's like the modern day stevie ray vaughn really yeah it's strange like in a in a way if you blend stevie ray vaughn and sometimes in bay mountain although he wouldn't agree with the bay part because i don't even know if he's listening much of that but he's so fast and fluid um, how do you well, spell? Just, how do you spell his last name? A Y C E. S A Y C E, and it's so start, start with Peace Machine. That's the first album that we did together. And it's Philip. No. no. Yeah. Just look on YouTube too. Yeah. Gotta be a jaw on the ground. Well, he's not on iTunes, unfortunately. He should be. Um. I'll send you links. All right, yeah, uh, send, send me the links. Yeah, I'd love to hear them because I'm a, I'm a big blues guy. I mean, you know, at one point I was like, of course, Stevie Ray Vaughan, and you know, and then I was, I've listened to Joe Bonamassa and Kenny Wayne Shepherd and all these other guys and Johnny Lang and Philip Phillips. I was amazing. Say, yeah, that, those guys are good, but okay, Phillips amazing. He rehearses across the street here. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I swear to God, you can hear him uh, probably in my house, which is about a half a mile away. Yeah, only he's, he's more ferocious than like for, than Bonamassa. Like Bonamassa's got this sweet spot of 
you could put it on while you're like on a boat mm-hmm. and chill and still enjoy that stuff. Phil is face melting like top to bottom. Is he like yeah. Jared so James could... Nichols? I actually no. don't know. That is. Oh, you don't know Jared James Nichols? Mm. We're gonna have to trade guys now. You see? All right, there it is. <laughs> Phillips on a different planet. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's one of those guys that he's one with the guitar. Um, but as a producer, for me, every time we're together, and he's he's into this. He's a beautiful person, and we have a really strong connection and a lot of trust. So my job is always to strip that back because there's plenty of Phillips to shred in the world, and live it's worth seeing. It's it's unbelievable. Um, for the record, it's like, let's put all that aside. Let's just slow way down. Cause he's got so much to say musically, um, slower. He's got this beautiful slow playing, but he's so ferocious. It just like starts ramping up. But so back to just, so like I got to work with Philip Stace. That was incredible. I got to work with Eric Gales, you know, Eric Gales. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. We wrote three songs for, um, his record called I Am Me, All of Me, something like that. Um, they're the popular records, so probably anyone that likes Eric Gales are like, these songs suck. <laughs> but uh, but that was another amazing thing where you just sit in a room with a guy and you're like, oh, okay. That's, that's what a real guitar player. He's an amazing guy. Also. Yeah, he's incredible. Isn't he playing the guitars upside down, right? Or am I thinking? Yeah. Yeah. Upside down and backward and uh, strong upside. Flappy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a mess, but it's easy because you don't have to bring a separate guitar. He just takes a right-handed guitar and, and plays it. That's crazy. He's a beast. And we when we got to hang out a lot with Len Kravitz, uh, his guitar player Craig Ross. I don't know if any of you guys are hip. He's to Craig amazing. Ross. He's amazing. Also, yeah. Incredible. So good. Just so underrated. Like it's a shame that he doesn't get to really like jump out. He got to play a lot on the uh, Doyle Bramhall mm-hmm. Smokestack record, which is a great record. That's a great record. Yeah. Green light, look, green light girls like these. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. But the whole album's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Craig is kind of turned down on one side. Like you go here, and you occasionally get a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but he's so good. So good. Yeah, yeah, and, and so, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to mention another guy who's like that. That's like a side player. That's an amazing player. Is Peter Stroud? Yes, oh, yeah. he's great. Yeah, tasty. Yeah, nice yeah. Tasty. They just don't get the limelight. But yeah, uh, what's the name of the guy who plays with Lenny again? I'm sorry, I forgot his name. Craig Ross. Craig Ross. Yeah, great player. Are you going to go my solo? Which is just as good as it gets. Yeah, I so saw great. I saw Lenny uh, live several years ago, but he is so good. The whole band was just insane. Oh. So, how was it working we with had, Lenny? Um, I didn't get to work with Lenny much, so he was getting ready for a tour, and uh, my lead singer and part of the production company was his ba- one of his background singers. Um, so he worked with him a bunch. We got to go over to his Florida house a couple times and stuff, and he, he was like, he was very gracious and stuff, but he was still like very high level rock star, and we were just kind of like kids over there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more I got to hang out with this band, which was fine with me because that's what I was interested in, in anyway, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to come over to a little apartment 
to play on some demos uh, for Singer. And we had a song that's like, hey, man, would you mind just playing on this? And he's never heard the song before. And it's a big outro solo. It's not like the most complicated thing ever. It was kind of like a Pink Floyd outro. And he plugged a little uh, Fender 52 Ellie Rieu butterscotch into a V1 Line 6 pod. And it's still one of the best tones I've ever heard. Like, he destroyed a solo first take down. I forgot. That's another one of those moments where you're like, oh, that's what it is. <laughs> that's, that's why you're professional. Yes. Those yeah. pods, man. That's so funny. You know, I remember those pods. They 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 sounded pretty good, especially for the time. Yeah, I think like how much you can do the direct thing, and it's they just sounded really bad or uh, not bad at all. Yeah. Anyway, that... so getting back to this, so like I I hit about twenty nine, and I was like, I'm gonna kill myself if I have to go into any more pop music sessions. Um, it was getting dark, so I just quit. I was like, that that's it. And a lot of my music also was a little more dramatic than what pop music required. Uh, so I quit, and then I ended up getting a movie to write all the songs for a movie with a friend of mine for a movie called Another Cinderella Story that had Selena Gomez in it. And so we got to do a bunch of rock songs with her, and they they turned out really good, and um, so they released a bunch as a single, and so I got the first single on Selena Gomez, which was cool. Uh, she was a sweetheart, um, and then uh, I started doing movie trailers uh, and scoring that, and I found that I was much more adept at doing this big dramatic music, uh, and then bringing in the rock stuff, which there wasn't a lot of those elements in, sort of the scoring stuff especially for trailers and advertising uh which i was pretty good at so it kind of got from there when i hit 30 years old and uh just started uh building out from there and so what my company ninja tracks do like i'm one of the primary writers we do uh music for movie trailers and then we've also scored me and my writing uh partner um several video games we did the last two forza motorsport games on xbox uh, we've done Tom Clancy games and a um, bunch of movie tie-ins. Um, yeah, so, and then like five years ago, I was like, I still don't get enough, play enough guitar. Like, rarely do I get to play a song from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a reason to do it. And that's, so the Big Harry Guitars was sort of my love letter to guitars. And like, you know what, I'm just going to try and buy all these things that I've been, had in my games when I was 15 and, uh, try and learn a song from beginning to end, and and still, it's like I when I come in, it's like oh, I want to make a video today, and then work gets in the way. You know, thankfully, work gets in the way often, and uh, but it's, it's always in the back of my mind, like oh gosh, it's a lot to maybe. I get super, I'm super nerdy. A lot of, a lot of my videos are just like I try to make them fun, but some of them are so barely watchable because. <laughs> minutes i don't think so of, of different reverbs doing the same just over and over but like i totally get off on the like super nerdy like what's this string sound like this versus this string or this tube versus this tube or this speaker versus this speaker like that that stuff makes me happy like i just 
relish that stuff. So do I. Um, I mean, many, many years ago, I, I, do you remember the Alex attenuator? Alex. Yeah. That was on the gear page. So I, yeah. so I, I, I bought the Alex attenuator and uh, I made a video on YouTube going through each of the different attenuations to, uh, later became the scumbag attenuator. Oh, is, is that what happened? Yeah. They bought it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and then there was the Faustine attenuator after that. I remember that one. But I didn't I have one. But I didn't get that one. Um, but, yeah, so I made a video because I was just, like, geeking out on, okay, well, let's see what the attenuation differences are and what's the tone difference. And, you know. I, I Like 15 years of you read it in a magazine and at some point every magazine review was exactly the same. Like it's, it's bright with warmth and dark and you're like, ah, none of it, none of it really does anything. Like I got to hear this thing. And right. it was a dude on, I think it was harmony central. My wife used to call it like, Oh, you're talking to your peeps. Cause I just sit there on my little blueberry iMac. But it was a guy, Menatone man that would sold a VHS tape. I remember of, him. Of an amp show. Of the he had the ecstasy and a Saldano and Agnator and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just watch that repeat. We all kind of sound the same because it's a room mic, a camera like five feet away in a, a rehearsal space. But so he like, sold a VHS or sent a VHS out of the recordings of these amps. Yeah, I mean <laughs> was, he was doing it out of the kindness of his heart because everyone's like, I want. He had it. Right. It's like, please dub it off, please. This is gold. That's... Hey, Robert Baker's in the chat. Hey. What's up, Robert? Hey. That's my guy. And also, Michael, your connection is lousy. Yeah, your connection oh, is. Really? Yeah, it's a little shoddy. <laughs> or maybe it'll get better. What's, what did he say he was going to do? I don't know. Okay. But he's gone. <laughs> Robert, hi. <laughs> maybe he uh, adjusted something. Did Hopefully you... that's better. I opened the door. I have like bulletproof doors, so sometimes it, it's not great for the connection. Hopefully that's a little better. Okay. Well, don't you, don't you just have like Ethernet connection instead of Wi-Fi? I don't for my laptop. My hard my hardline main computer. Is... Okay. That's the problem. It's Wi-Fi. We'll we'll deal with it. No worries. Um, so what's up, Robert Baker? Thanks for joining the chat. Um, so, so how often are you are you working on um, projects like that? And are you doing multiple projects at the same time? Like, you know, and are are I'm just curious how how that works for you, Michael. Yeah, we're um, like I'm usually working on two or three different pieces of music a day, um, and they'll come back for notes, so it'll hit. Um, I'll have to jump from session to session, but um, it, we're all every day that we're just writing music for trailers. Cause the way that works is you have to pitch the music and then they cut it to picture and then it goes out, gets tested. It has to go up the hierarchy of the studios and um, then it either, either wins out or it doesn't. So it's a, uh, it's a lot of work and you just hope that, you know, one of them lands, um, so you get paid on it. I saw you uh, worked on place. Rogue One. Yeah, so all of these are the for the big films. It's always the trailers. So um, 
Yeah, we had a lot of Star Wars activity, I think it was last year, the year before last. Um, we did a bunch of their commercials and a bunch of the promos for Rogue One. Um, so is it the, and, so like, what are we hearing that you're working on in like the trailer? Is the the background music or? The... Yeah, all of the, all of the music. Like, um, uh, I can't remember what, what might be out recently here. Um, I'd have to look, look back and through, but. Uh, we have our website ninjatracks.com and it has a bunch of our the recent stuff on there. Mm. So um, the way it works is in a film, they're still cutting and filming, so they don't have their final score. They they send it out to get a trailer made before sometimes the movie's even done. So they need music that doesn't have to reflect what the actual movie is. It has to be exciting and and impactful and dramatic. Mm. Uh, so that's where we come in and. Um, we do that kind of stuff. So did you have to write in the, you know, in the theme of the Star Wars, like, type of music? Or was it just completely up to you? Yeah, sometimes the Star Wars stuff, we've done a lot of Star Wars stuff that they, of course, you want the John Williams theme. And mm-hmm. it was the same with Harry Potter when those were coming out. Uh, James Bond, you know, they always want to have a little theme. Like, it's been cool. This week, I had a bunch of, um, sometimes they'll, bring in a song like here's old uh cream song or here's old uh led zeppelin song but we need it to be like bigger uh so then i get to kind of like dig in there and uh tweak that stuff out i was working on it It, this one didn't go but i was working on um motley Crue song um what was it uh live wire and so they sent me all the stems from the session, which was so awesome to be able to dig through all of the uh, each track, all 10 snare sounds that they had for Tommy <laughs> and all the extra little like keyboard guitar parts. And it was really cool to see that stuff. That was a treat. Like, I'll do it. I don't even care if it goes final. Just <laughs> send me send me the three stems. Yeah. yeah. Let me let me listen to it for a while. Yeah. That's super cool. So I have all these cool, uh, cause Vince Neil was like ad libbing throughout that clearly they just brought the fader down. And so he just halfway through, he's like, <laughs> like prepping for the next <laughs> chorus and getting his voice ready. That's so one day I'll make a ringtone out of all of my Vince Neil. <laughs> awesome. It's, it's better than the current, current ringtones that you can make. <laughs> the video of, they were comparing him to Bob Dylan, where he was saying, "Oh yeah, oh, it's bad. <laughs> it's rough." Yeah. But you know, it, he delivers on the record at some point. It it comes together. That's Good true. Stuff. That's true. That's true. Um, so let's jump into the chat and see what what we got going on. Um, here's a question: Hey Dave, how come you put EL eighty fours in the junior? From- Does they sound? They sound good. Demise Phil. To be honest, to be honest, like the choices for a low power tube are kind of slim. Uh, It's not really great to make a 20 watt amp that uses EL 34s and you're just like dropping the voltages all to hell Mm -hmm. and uh, you're kind of neutering them. It's better to use a smaller tube and your choices then are a 6v6, which sounds nothing like an EL 34. Or a, uh, or a EL84, 
that sounds a lot like an EL-34, to be honest, if you do the power section right. And, you know, people that say that EL-84 amps don't sound big or they're mid-rangey and stuff, I mean, they're they're like listening to a, a Vox or something. It's just not, they're not really hearing how they can sound. And as Michael knows, since the video just came out today, he did with the JJ Jr., uh, it does not sound small. No, it's all, it's amazing. <laughs> if you compare it. We did this in NAM. If you compare mm -hmm. the amp to the real one, the big one, as long as you know you're not driving the piss out of it at moderate volumes, it sounds exactly the same. In fact, I've had one reviewer say he likes it better than his double J that he has. Mm. Yeah, jumping from the the BE <laughs> channel on the JJ Junior versus the BE channel, it's hard to say. Like, there's a nice little like fatness and compression you get on the the 20 watt that is really feels so good to play through. It's really forgiving. Yeah, yeah. it's almost like, it's almost like the, the lower power thing. It, it, it's almost uh, it's kind of funny. I took I took uh, one of the power sections. Of uh, I'll be right back. One of these EL84 amps, and I essentially converted the amp to make it a plexi, right? So I wanted to see how close with that power section I could get to my 50 watt plexi with a variac. And well, it got to a point where we couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> so, so uh, maybe that'll be an amp in the future. Oh. 20 watt plexi with EL84s. Dude. It's just like the 50 watt Variact plexi, my famous one. Oh. Even, I was even here with, with Pete, who might still be listening or not. And we're like listening back and forth. He's like, yeah, I can't tell the difference. Wow. <laughs> but the funny thing, a 20 watt, a 20 watt amp is as loud as a 50 watt amp Variact. Mm. So, yeah, the twenty watts aren't. You know, it's not like they're really low in volume. No, they. Loud. I've got the run twenty. They, they, they can kick it. That amp can get very loud. It can play with a band, no doubt. Oh yeah, sure. I had a for the first time played live with uh, my school's dad band a couple weeks ago. So I brought my mini Dirty Shirley, mm -hmm. and the other guitar player had. A, an orange, I think it was a 50 watt. Maybe it might have been a 100 watt. Mm. But the Dirty Shirley was fine. It was way fatter sounding. So it wasn't as like crisp, sort of uh, ice picky. But yeah. like yeah, once you get about halfway up, you've you've got to all about all the volume you're going to yeah, get. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it was perfectly fine. Yeah. Good. And it sounded great. Yeah. Yeah. So all these people that are saying EL84 is this and that, just listen to mine. It's quite different. Yeah, it's like not, not not what you think it is. No, like I, I bought a, a while back. I got a uh, a Vox Night Train, one of those. Yeah, yeah, you know, like well, lunchbox, cheap, cheap EL eighty four. It sounded like the buzziest piece of shit. That I, I I returned it within like two weeks of having it, maybe even sooner, um, and that. 
was my perception of what EL84 amps sound like, like, you know, with, with high gain oh. and... Yeah, and not at all, really. You know, the funny thing is, even... A, a, you know, I think people don't know because they haven't had experience with great EL84 amps. So, like, a vintage Vox, top boost, copper top, mm-hmm. AC30, can be aggressive and huge-sounding like a, like a Marshall can. Uh, and, and it's, I have one. It's it's amazing. Hmm. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I, I I think I wrote you one day. I was like, I, the Run Twenty was completely exceeded all my expectations of what a EL eighty four amp could be. I was like, crazy how good it sounds. So I think we had a question from Tim Timothy Pierce, not Tim Pierce, Michael, um, but Timothy Pierce. And he wanted to know if what's the difference between the uh, the JJ Junior and the Runt? Uh, is it just he he said is it just the Runt twenty with some tweaks or or what? Um, well, the architecture is like a Runt twenty, but no, the power section's different, the preamp section is different. I literally took the you know the original amp the uh, the big guy. And literally sat there with amp switchers and would switch between the two preamp sections into one power section till those were perfect. And then I would switch between the power sections of the two amps mm. and with one preamp section. And until that was, you know, dialed in so it sounded just like the big one. So, yes, the basic architecture is the same, but it's not the same amp at all. I mean, the preamp and the power sections are different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's easy to forget when you're playing the JJ Junior that it's 20 watt amp. It felt more like the Runt 50. If I had to to pair it up, um, outside of the clean channel, which is similar to the Runt 20, but when you're in the dirty side, it's um, so robust. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Your video is amazing. Sounds Thanks. great. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get a chance to watch it, it today, but I'm definitely going to check it out. And well, yeah. with 20 watts, so much easier to record than a 100-watt amp. You just put it wherever you want. I mean, I could probably do it. I have a space, so the garage, this is a house where the master bedroom or the two bedrooms have been converted into two studio control rooms. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, um, I didn't know that. So the, it was a single-car garage that's now the live room, and everything is wired in between it. Um, so I could get a hundred watt amp loud, but it shakes the neighborhood still, even though it's all soundproofed. Mm. The 20 watt is great and it still feels really loud. Like it pushes air Mm -hmm. like really hard and the microphones like it better. I think, um, it's not quite as brutal on them. Yeah. There's a certain, maybe it's just the size of the room. If I had a 50 foot by 50 foot room, you could really get start pushing some big air mm-hmm. but one in a smaller iso room the 20 watts is a really sweet spot for that yeah. so in your video I, I haven't seen it yet um i gather you do both uh, direct and mic micing a cab with it not on the jj jr I, i'm not a b- big direct guy like i i'm trying to find it but i find like the direct stuff tends to have a bigger sonic imprint then, um, like maybe even the amp. So like if I'm doing like a two notes thing or something, 
I feel like I'm not, I could turn tone knobs on the amp and it's not doing as much mm -hmm. as when I'm mic'd up. Like the impulse response has a way bigger impact on the tone than turning knobs on the amp. Interesting. So I try to do uh, mic'd up amp stuff, uh, mic the speaker cab anytime I'm doing an amp demo just because I think it helps get the voice of the amp across a little better rather than getting an IR across. Like, this is a great IR. You know. hmm. No, that's great. Um, uh, uh, the Tom and 25, 20-watt 20 EL84 Friedman Plexi, take my money. <laughs> <laughs> well, watch for it. I think it'll happen eventually. Robert Baker has a question. Dave, do you know what Jerry was using in that new Ernie Ball video? Was it the JJ or JJ Jr.? No, the new Ernie Ball video was his whole rig, his whole standard. Uh, uh, it was sitting behind him, his whole standard uh, touring rig. So two two double J's, uh, one set on the BE channel, one set on the JBE channel, one with 25-watt greenbacks and one with vintage 30s. The JBE one has vintage 30s, and the BE one has greenbacks. Blended. Can I answer Joel? Yeah. Joel Eakins said, what's your opinion on the Boss DD500 versus the Strymon Timeline? Mm. Um, I get an opinion on this, too. I want to hear if it's the same as yours. I think the Strymon stuff is really good, for sure, and it looks really pretty. But I think the Boss is way better sounding I think even better than that is the uh, source audio delay and the source audio reverb is better. Eh, maybe a little. I I prefer it to the Boss stuff, but I think the Boss stuff is better than the Strymon stuff. In a generally, I if I had to do a test or just grab something and go, I would pick the Boss stuff. I think it's just a little better. I would agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a DD five hundred. I think it's awesome. DD500 and the yeah. SDE 3000 preset. Yeah. The, the vintage delay setting. Which, yeah, vintage digital. Yeah, that's it. You got it. Um, it's, and you can, I did a video, I did a delay and a reverb video, and you can hear them. I'm, it's just, I, I, I have a um, El Capistan on my board, mm -hmm. and I think that's it's amazing. Yeah, it's <laughs> one of my favorite for slapback. It's so vibey. So, like, I love Strymon just as an all-purpose do-everything delay that boss it just it sat in the mix better and it felt the closer L, to the rack stuff to me the l cap is amazing um yeah the l cap is amazing yeah i mean i'm sure you can't go wrong with either of them but the dd500 is great um so i think it's jt hair one Hey guys, just wanted to know if Dave will have a Jakey Lee signature amp in the works. Thanks. Yeah, that's coming. Limited, probably limited run though. Not a permanent amp. Okay. Richard Boyer says the jam track for the JJ video is kick ass. Did Michael already have that written or did he create it for the video? Thanks, man. Uh, no, I, I wrote it for the video. Um, I. I could generally, if I have time to to sit down and do it, I could generally work very fast because that's kind of my job. Is I'll get a call and they'll say like, "Hey, uh, we need three minutes of orchestra, 
that turns into a rock thing and that morphs back out and we need it by five o'clock. So there's, I could either just say no and not work, or I just got to figure out a way to, way to do it. So I, I can work very fast. Um, but it's so nice to be able to just do heavy guitar related stuff. Mm. So I prefer to just write it from the ground up. And also like, I can't do it without having the piece of gear. Like I had to have the JJ junior to see what it does to, be so inspired to write the track. Yeah. Cause it's like, yeah. it does a thing and it's mm-hmm. like, Ooh, I love the way it handles big open, like suspended chords and, or I like the way it chunks or, whatever so like that's the stuff that really like is exciting about i think that that's why i want a new amp every i know every month and i want a new guitar every month and a half so it's it's a horrible addiction isn't it so can we can we talk briefly or, or not briefly about your your build yeah yeah sure that's so awesome so um is it's a essentially like a parts caster it is a parts caster, yeah. I um, so I ordered. So when we had Jakey Leon, um, it kind of inspired me when we we started talking to him about his guitar, and uh, and some of the cool features that he has on it that I that are very unique. Clearly, the the slanted pickups, the you know trim. The, it it was just so different than anything that I currently have. I was like, all right, I want to build something, but I want it to be completely different. So there's a guy. His name is Chris Locke. Um, he makes uh, bodies and necks, um, lock guitars. If you guys want to check it out online, um, so I ordered a roasted ash body. Um, if you guys can see that, a roasted ash body and a roasted maple neck with with a uh, rosewood, uh, you know, board. Um, and it's just, totally cool. what's that? Totally cool. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, this, this guitar. So what I did was I, I love it. Fender scale. What's that? Is it Fender scale? Yeah. Fender scale. Okay. Um, and so I basically, I just got some, uh, gun stock oil. Um, mm-hmm. and I oiled it up, uh, put a few coats, you know, a few coats on it. And then I just took some steel wool and uh rubbed it out so you can still so you can see the grain and then i just put a thin coat over on top of it and it just came out fantastic uh, what pickups did you put in there so it's got a friedman uh bridge pickup is that the plus or the classic it's the cla- the classic it's the lower gain one right the plus is the uh, the one that's in the noho right dave no 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 the classic plus that's probably what you got, Classic Plus. Yes. You got Plus, right? Yeah, the Classic Plus. It's like 8.2K? 8, 8.3, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the uh, the single coils. What's that? You need the Triple D. The Triple D? What's that? That's that's the humbucker that's in the no-host. Oh, I do need to get that. That's a cool pickup. Oh, right, we'll come back to that. I want to finish the guitar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the uh, the two single coils are what Jake has in his guitar, the uh, SD1 DeMarzios. Oh, yeah, you definitely need the hotter humbucker. Yeah, I probably do. The, the single coils are probably hotter than the, the humbucker. They probably... Are they noiseless? <laughs> no. No. 
No, they're they're actually pretty buzzy. Um, is it S S ones? Is it or the S? I think they're SD one. I think it's called SD one. I think so. Um, yeah, it's great. It's got the five. The whole the whole the whole, the whole thought behind the SD ones was to match up to the JB humbucker. Ah, uh, because it it it's it. He's very sensitive about that. So it's like in the guitars that have. The, the, like the blue guitar has a has a different pickup. It doesn't have the JB in it, and 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 I think I think the single coils are different in that too, like lower gain. It's very sensitive about the gain levels of the pickups. Interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. I'll have to get. I'll probably have to get the the higher output pickup from you then, and try. Where are you going, Mike? I was trying to open the door to the the machine room to see if I'd get better Wi-Fi signal. No, your signal's just good. Got- it's been good. Oh, okay. Since you opened the All door, right. it's been good. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no problems. Um, I got. I just have to say that Chris Locke did some amazing. Just the neck on it. it. I was. Yeah. yeah. What's that? Looks amazing. Yeah, he really. Yeah. Was, what kind of neck profile did you got going? It's like a C, you know, like a like a thicker C. Um, it's really great. I, I he just not knocked it out of the park. I got like bra- I got the the bridge is from Killer Guitar Components. It's just this brass, full brass mm-hmm. bridge, and I got an Ingve Malmsteen brass uh, nut, and this thing just sings. I mean, it literally just oh. sings. So, yeah, I'm. So, how much did you do as far as putting it together? Uh, did you just get the component? You had uh, Chris do like the fretwork and stuff. He did the fretwork and, you- and the body. Um, I stained the body. I put the guitar together except for the electronics. I had a buddy of mine uh, install the electronics for me because uh, I'm starting to get blind and I can't see shit. <laughs> <laughs> but you have glasses. I do, but I can't. I still, I'm still struggling with, with just the, stronger glasses. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> so I just said, hell with it. He can do it real fast. He just whipped it out. So uh, that sounded bad. He just whipped. <laughs> <laughs> He just uh-huh. got it done real fast. Let's just... What's that? Now we see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's got a lot of brass accoutrements accoutrements to it. So, you know, I just, I'm digging it. It's a really cool guitar. So if you want to build one, Michael, I'll, I'll, uh, I'm like $900 into it. That's that's basically what it cost me to build the whole thing. Oh, that's pretty great. Yeah. I think, it, you know, this guitar would cost like three grand, you know. Oh, yeah. So... So yeah, and there I just banged it. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, I I borrowed um, Robert from over at Friedman his guitars for the NoHo demo that I did a, a couple weeks ago, and I don't know. I as I was returning these pristine brand new guitars, there was dings like in the the. Thankfully, it wasn't in the top, but it was in the side. I have no idea how they got there. It's like I it just it reaffirmed I had all the dread when I was 16 and I dropped my Ibanez RG760 and yeah. the chip fell off. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> new guitars are the worst. Like, say what you want about relics and, and aged guitars. Oh, that's the greatest because you could toss it on top of your amp. And if it fell over, oh, well, I dinged it. Whoops. It's it, you can like for me, like in the in the shop here. Oh, my God. You see the shop here. And, you know, it's. It's like I literally could lay the guitar on top of my tools on the bench if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. I, I saw you. Dave was uh, working on a, a preamp for me, a, a Kasha. He's fixing up a Kasha, and he unplugs the cable, 
and he throws it at the guitar. <laughs> he didn't throw it near. He threw it like the end of the cable was just like towards oh, the that wasn't intentional, but <laughs> <laughs> but it goes to show like it just doesn't really matter. It's like no. this fancy new guitars. Oh, I know guys that can fix it if I break it. So yeah, that's true. <laughs> so you, speaking of not, you know, like. You you look at it and you just go okay it's a it's a relic so it's, it's okay I was playing uh, my uh, my Friedman guitar just the other day and I took it off you know and my ceiling's pretty low here and I've got a ceiling fan and I just took it off and and the headstock just hit the ceiling fan oh no and it just and it just put a ding you know a ding right into the the headstock and I looked at it and it was and it was part of a, just a series of dings that were already there and I was just like oh well and I just put it back down. <laughs> It's yeah, like, un, un, unlike the uh, the GJ two uh, Concord, right? Exactly. That's which, pretty, uh, which the poor Concord. <laughs> oh man! The first time and oh, just bad luck with that one. Which is really actually here's here's the funny story on that, Dave. You know, ironically, Grover was like, "Oh, we never have those brakes on those guitars." And then I saw one for sale on Reverb that they had found up in the rafters, and it and it had the bro- a broken spot in the exact same spot. Uh, and I'm like, I think that's a problem, Grover. <laughs> you know, I think that one little it's the woods just a little too thin in that area. But it's not like he's making those guitars anymore anyway, really. You know. Right. I think I think I've seen this three times from uh, Jimmy Bider. He, he might explode if you don't answer. What's the question? Uh, opinion on the PV Classic 120 power amp. Uh, the 120. That used to be great. Um, I used to recommend that power amp. Those it's good power amp, heavy, big, but sounds great, actually. Okay, so I and this is gonna segue. Uh, think Dan Huff had one in his later racks. He had a VHT and a PV Classic power amp. So you said the other day that you built um, well, at least one of Dan Huff's rigs. So I have this question. There's guys like uh, Lukather and Huff, maybe not so much Landau, but monster players. But I don't. they don't seem to me like guys that sit around and program like a lexicon uh, revert. Do, do, they, do people come to you and say, say like, hey, I want a daily studio sound or whenever it was, and you program all these sounds? Or are they, do you sit with them? or Back in the day when the rack was the, the the thing yes we we would program stuff sometimes for them it wasn't all that difficult it was it was i mean lukather was all about the pcm 70 and circular delays um which is a cool certain softer version v2 yeah and that has circular delays and that was the one, man. That was just like swimming in this beautiful stereo lusciousness, you know. That just you can't top that sound. And uh, Lando was all about his PCM 42s. Um, all of them had the SPX 90 on micro pitch shift. Oh. And, and and or the Eventide on micro pitch shift. Oh wait, was it called on the SPX? Was it called micro pitch shift? Pitch D tune, I think it was called. Here, let's let's fire it up. SPX ninety. Yeah. 
And then uh, they also so so the SPX ninety was all about the micro my uh, it was no the Eventide was micro pitch shift SPX ninety was pitch or pitch detune or something. And if I recall, it was the 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 fine adjustments on that, and it was like negative you'd use like negative eight and positive eight or something around there. One called pitch change. Maybe it was pitch change. Yeah, I think I've gone in a circle. There's not that many patches on here. It would be pitch, so it would you know? Pitch change, and then uh, in the in the settings, the the there was fine adjustments that were like the uh, that you would do negative eight and positive eight, or you could do yeah, like one side on the other. You could do negative eight and positive nine, or you could do them a little offset if you wanted to. Um, that Eddie Van Halen thing. And that that was the you know the quintessential that and on the Eventide H three thousand the micro pitch shift was the quintessential uh, you know L A pitch detune stuff. And although the SPX was first. Hmm. Interesting. So Interesting. it was really about on the SPX it was all about that and the symphonic program. Um, oh yeah, that that one sounds great. And pretty much that's all most people used in that unit. Uh, although some of the other stuff's kind of cool. Um, Interesting in it. And then for delays, most people use the 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 PCM forty twos or Alexicon PCM seventy or SDE three thousands or even Yamaha D fifteen hundreds. That was the most common and you'd have two stereo you'd have two mono delays in stereo so so you could set them discrete and then also there was you know part of that sound also was the tri-stereo chorus and or the tc um 1210 mm -hmm. uh dbx compressor often was used 160 um you know reverbs there would still be the Lexicon reverb, you know, like the PCM. So you'd see like PCM 42s and Lexicon PCM 70s, even tied H2000s, SPX 90s, and between all of that, you'd get your thing. But it really wasn't so much about the reverb. It was mostly delays were used and the choruses and detents. Mm. I just got a DBX 160 and realized for the first time, like, Oh, that's the sound. Like after the preamp, just the single raspberry, single yeah. clean DBX, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it is totally the, this guy. Uh, where is he? That one. Yep, that's it. And if you want, here, you go searching for this. Then get a uh, Audio Arts uh, parametric EQ. Okay. And use that with your Soldano clean channel and that DBX. That's the sound, huh? Well, that's Land. Mike Landau used the Audio Arts EQ to tweak the clean channel mm. to get that sparkle thing. Mm. Yep. That and also a big part of the early stuff was uh, class, not classic stacks. Um, Duncan hot stacks. The blade, it had like a single blade down the middle of the pickup. It was a stacked single coil. Oh, 
Dan Huff had that on his his single coils yeah. in his neck in the middle. Yeah, and then you could split them and run them in parallel and stuff. A lot of those Tyler Strats had like the series parallel switches and stuff. Yeah, and, but oh, that's ugly. That one one blade is not a good look. No, not it's good, not. But it has a sound, and for that sound, it does it really well. Oh. It's almost acoustic like in in nature. Hmm. Yeah, it's not a good so, look. Get over the some look. of the stuff is the look. I mean, Seymour Duncan riding Seymour Duncan so big across his pickups. That is that's pretty tough to stomach too. I mean, at I least hate that. You can get you can get them without that writing. I don't know. Can you? You can. Yeah. You can. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to have that. But you have to special order it. Like, okay. Yeah. So. I mean, if you go to the store. <laughs> I just got a, a Warren D. Martini uh, custom pickup for my. I've changed the pickup in my Luxstone a hundred times. Like it sounded great. Um, I have a a telly with a humbucker in the bridge yeah. it sounded fine but it was kind of classic sounding and i've always wanted it has like a charval neck so i've always wanted it to be more shreddery and i've tried like a bill lawrence and that was just like the most weird insane pickup ever that's what like nuno has and um hmm. uh dime bag had yeah, yeah. just the original a hi-fi all treble yeah, yeah i got a uh tracked down the original bill and becky um yeah so i got this warren d martini pickup because warren's got this great tone and um that shit is the hottest i was telling robert um it's the hottest thing i've ever heard in my life it's like a 18k pickup like it's like the most metal something alico to magnet yeah it's it's ballistic hmm. it's, it's a, good it's an over it's one ballistic. jb with an alico to magnet Pretty sure that's what it is. Mm. Oh. Does it sound it good? Real, yeah, I think so. I haven't. I was plugging it into software at home, so I just made sure that it worked, and I did an A and B, but I haven't plugged it into an actual amp. Um, I don't know. I've at some point, no more pickups will be able to be installed into that guitar because I've gone in and out of the screw holes so many times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have to have it fixed. Yeah, that's... I'll just glue it in. So now you I'll have the original. I'll go back to the original pickup probably and be like, "Oh yeah, it was fine the first time." So let, let's right. so let's talk about racks, guitar racks. Um, I know you wanted to talk about that, Michael, right? So, yeah, I was kind of just stealing stealing moments here and there. Yeah, with Dave. But did God. okay? So uh, I saw the other day uh, you did John Norm's rack too, Dave. No, no I didn't. Oh, okay. Maybe you just did his his mod, his Marshall? Oh, really? Love. It says on his website that you did his Marshall. Oh really? Yeah, with a B mod and it sound and he's like, It sounds amazing and it's incredible. Oh shit, that's not that's Are you sure? Because the rack looks like something you do. It had two S D E three thousands. John Norm. Yeah. From uh Europe. I mean, I know John Norum, but I don't recall working for him. I mean, that's possible I did, though. I just don't recall. <laughs> Maybe there's an East Coast Dave Friedman. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. It's possible. Now I got Now I got to go look. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a whole site dedicated to stuff. It's very detailed. Wow. Um, it, was a, it was a nice looking rack. So how did you come up with your 
your uh, which I call like the Dave Friedman delay because it's been at Nam every year. Your um, two SDE three thousand. I think it, it's like a two fifty on one side and like a five hundred ish on the other side. That was just commonplace back from the old days. I mean, it just uh, you Is would that use two ish delays. Yeah, do that? absolutely. Yep. Uh-huh. You use two discrete delays and you just set them at whatever times you want to set them at. But generally speaking, to do a ping pong, mm-hmm. you set them at you know half of each other, so five hundred, two fifty, or six hundred and three hundred. Um, Somewhere in there, four fifty and two twenty-five. But that's for like Do a you prefer that's, them. That's a wet dry wet setup. Yeah. Do you prefer it to be exact multiples or like a little off? Could be a little off. Uh, generally, we do exact multiples, but it could be a little off. Mm. I mean, slightly. Like you could just a couple, you know, five hundred and three. You know, and <laughs> yeah, otherwise it gets kind of dirty. It gets sloppy. 50, like, yeah, it gets sloppy. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, you want it to, you can do it a few ways. I mean, you can have it where the dra- the delays sort of trail to the left or to the right or ping pong back and forth between the two. <clears throat> Sounds good. You can use any, I mean, the SDE 3000 sound great, but you can use two D1500s. You could use two Lexicon 42s. That's great also. You could set your uh, DD500 to stereo. There you go. Now, you could set your DD500 to stereo, but you can't use the vintage digital patch. I do. Yeah, but it doesn't have two separate delay times. That's what I, I've got it set up with two separate delay times. On the vintage digital patch? Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. Maybe it's newer software than mine. No, this is when I first got it. You sure about that? Yeah, I'll, I'll send you the link offline of how, how I got that set up. But yeah, I th- I'm I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, let's just say you're the expert, so I'm going to say you're separate you're probably I'm right. Sure I had to go through this with Jerry Cantrell on his D500, and huh. we had to use the whatever another patch in there. Okay, I'll have to check. And then you have to to do it. You have to have two, just like the originals. Okay, I'll have to check it out. I might be wrong. Probably am. Um, so okay. So what other racks have you worked on, Dave? Well, let let me jump in with that. Like, I can't do you remember what was the first time you met Eddie Van Halen? Can you can you tell us a little bit about that? The recording of the. The very first time. Hold on a second. Um, must have been the recording when they were recording the fuck record, Andy Johns, at his studio. Wow. I think I delivered something there from Andy Browers at the time. And he helped me pull the cabinet out of the car or the truck. Were you shitting? Like, what was your. Oh, well, let me give you a hand. Yeah, were you were you just dying? Uh because you're driving up there, you're knowing like, oh my god, it would be so yeah, great no, if I actually no, meet him. It was pretty cool, you know. I gotta say, it was pretty cool. Um, and then I think during that, I think my friend who I worked with had started working for him, Matt Brook, and um, 
uh, right before that record, or just right at that record, mm-hmm. and uh, and so yeah, yeah, it was. I remember that was the first time I actually saw him play in front of me, which is so a what, trip. what was that? What was he? <laughs> was he plugged in or not plugged? Yeah, in? yeah, yeah, no, plugged in, yeah. I think early on I helped him out with something and patching something in with a an old Bradshaw he had or something. I don't remember quite remember. But then it was years later before I actually did really real work for him. But uh, I remember being there and the recording of that record. It was a Soldano head into a old slant 4x12 that Andy Brower had that had 75-watt Celestians in it. Those are the ones that are kind of the poo-poo, no? Correct. There's just poo-poo Celestians. Correct. The 75 watts but, that are but, in all the rentals. But, but with with the Soldano amp, the 75 sounded really good. Oh. So Soldano's sort of hairy sounding, you know? It's uh, it's like, I'm not talking the preamp. The preamp's different than the head. The head's kind of hairy sounding. It's, 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 it's a great sounding, it's great sounding, but... Uh, I think the cleaner speakers did it justice in some respects. Hmm. Uh, They liked that better. They tried a whole bunch of cabinets. They liked that better. He later bought that cabinet from the rental company. Really? Interesting. Yeah, it was nothing. It was not a nothing special. It was just sounded great on that recording with that amp at the time. Is it and and I remember Andy Andy Johns. That's the only time I was around Andy Johns. That was that was a treat. Was he cool? Oh, God, he was super cool. Might have been drunk, but he was super cool. <laughs> Whatever it takes. <laughs> he was English, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I um I did uh, a live record. I mixed a live record for John Sykes, who was the guitar player for Whitesnake. Right. Um, which was like, that's that was going back to the beginning for me. Um, so my production company manager uh, was John Sykes's tour manager uh and he he's since passed away so john was gonna go to europe no sorry john was going to japan to do like four dates and he wanted to record it and put out a live album Mm -hmm. uh, which came out as called bad boys live Um, so he he had derek sherinian uh tommy aldrich um credos marco mendoza on bass right and um and then him and yeah, this is later. This was later, right? This yeah, was, this is later. This is like two uh, thousands. Yeah, yeah. And Sykes had been away for a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember uh, that. And uh, so this is like right after I had left, sort of my the pop production stuff. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll get into like some touring kind of stuff. Uh, and then I realized really quickly, like touring sucks. It's the <laughs> worst. Um, but uh, so Sykes had just bought a Pro Tools rig. And it wasn't tested, and we take it to Japan, and we set it up. And the whole reason he's doing this tour is to get a live album out of it. Yeah. And the first, first show, I hit record and fail. I'm like, oh, shit, they're already in the middle of the first song. Mm. Record, fail, record, fail. Re- and I'm like, this isn't going to work. Something was up. And if anyone knows like record production, like Pro Tools, even now, crashes twice a day. <laughs> Um, but then it was just so unstable. I mean, it was like, just never knew what you were getting and hard drives weren't that fast. And 
you know, it got shipped over and stuff. So I was like, forget it. I'm just going to sit here and watch this show. And, um, and then it got back to him that we didn't get a recording of this show, this first show. And it was one of those other surreal moments where I'm sitting in a hotel in Japan. I'm getting read the riot act from John Sykes, like my hero. And he's ripping me a new asshole. Um, I'm like, Oh, okay. This is, this is a, a very interesting scenario. I also got read the riot act from Barry Manilow too. Um, which was, ex- we, he had written a song and he asked us, he's like, just take it apart and, you know, give it back to me. And we were like, great, we'll rewrite this whole thing for you. Cause we thought, you know, we're 20 years old and we thought we were really smart. <laughs> uh, we gave it back and he just ripped the shit out of us too. Um, that's one of those things. I don't know. I don't know. Kids today don't, they don't get that experience of having just getting the shit kicked out of them by the elders. And I think it's, yeah. it's important to, to have that. It puts you in your, a little bit of perspective and, uh, you mean the millennial thing? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Kind of but after that with Sykes, it's like, you know what? They're like, they were going out. I'm like, I'm going to make sure this Pro Tools rig works and spend all night making sure it works. And then we, we got the recording and I mean, he's, he's a ridiculous, another one of those like ridiculous players. That's like crazy player. Yeah. Amazing. The strongest hands I've ever seen. Like hmm. he had a, um, we needed tape, like two inch tape, uh, to recall, the loops for uh, his Blue Murder stuff. He had, um, which I think is just genius uh, record. That first Blue Murder album is amazing. Um, So this song Jelly Roll that has a loop on it and like an acoustic guitar. So we needed to pull that off of the two inch tape. So he pulled out the tape and I was like, well, let's not just throw the tape anywhere. Let's wrap it around a coffee can. And he single-handedly took a coffee can and like ripped the lid off of it with bare hands and wow. like, and he's a huge guy. He's just humongous. It was, it was yeah. very intimidating, like to be around. I don't know. You've probably maybe you found this, Dave. Like being around a rock star, like a bona fide rock star. Yeah. Like it's a weird thing. Like they're not normal people. They're oh, no, no. There's a whole there's a whole uh, psychology to the whole thing. <laughs> And yeah. everyone is different, which is really interesting. So you, you have to learn. Um, the th- one thing I've learned from working with artists is you need to learn really quickly and be able to learn really fast what not to say. Oh. You know, you have to be careful with your words. You got to choose them wisely because... Some are touchier than others, and you know some great, some aren't, and some are some are asses. But you know, hey, uh, you just learn what camp is, which way, and how to be, and how to behave, and just don't offer your opinion up. Yeah, unless, <laughs> yeah that's a big here, here's the here's the basic thing: don't offer your opinion unless asked. Mm. This is this is. You don't go, you know, this is what I think you should do. Yeah. This is not, that doesn't start well. You know, it, it, you have to be asked, you have to be asked first. You have to, you have to be in their, you know, in, in their circle, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a whole psychology behind this. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So you, you, have, to be, you have to be careful what you say. Yeah. I, it, I stopped going out of my way to meet my heroes it's just it's, it's too stressful. I did meet Lukather 
backstage at a, a like a Christmas KLOS Christmas party, and he was the nicest guy ever. Oh, he was so awesome. gracious and yeah. sweet. Yeah. Yeah, and Sykes was super nice too. But it was like we were just trying to we were on a deadline, and I was mixing for hours and hours a live album that just like on a bro- broke down Pro Tools rig with no auto tune. Mm-hmm. Not for him. For I mean, he's I think he actually has perfect pitch, but the background singers were just like, Oof. really. <laughs> You just pull those down lower. Yeah. <laughs> mix low. Yeah. Barry and delay and reverb and mix low. Yeah. Well, you know, I was on a, a half-ass Pro Tools rig with like the DSP. You got to be careful. Like I could use one delay or a reverb or, you know, <laughs> you got to choose wisely. Not hey, like today. Hey, no. Robert Baker wants to uh, know, Michael, what DAW do you use most most often? I'm fully Logic Pro. Uh, I'm really fast on it. Um, I used to be super fast on Pro Tools, um, but there was a point where I needed to upgrade. There was a big OS upgrade between 9 and 10, and it was going to cost a bunch of money, so I went native. And It's hard to argue with uh, you know price versus performance for Logic. It's really good. Mm-hmm. What um what interface do you use? Um, I use uh, a Symphony system. Let me see. I don't know if you'll be able to see it through here if it's blurry or not. So I have a, a machine room over here. Did I bring? I didn't bring the keys. Maybe you can see through the the wall. Oh wow! Um, yeah. So oh yeah. In here, there's a rack of computers and stuff. So I have two symphony apogee symphonies and that is because every one of the outboard gear which is over here is on its own io Mm -hmm. so i could just um i didn't want to have anything where i had to do a patch patch bay um because if i'm recalling a mix a different mix three times a day and jumping between different things i need to have just hit open on the mix and it shows up and I go, oh, okay, I need to turn on my manly EQ or I need to turn on this compressor or whatever. And I, if I have to deal with patch cables, I'll screw it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just too many things happening at, at once. Yeah. It makes it quick um, and easy. Yeah. So everything, and more and more, I'm just in the box now. Um, it, cause it's faster and, um, I got better too. You know, every year it's like when I started doing the Forza seven, uh, soundtrack w- which was all sort of rock songs like sort of garagey indie bluesy soul rock songs uh, my mixing had to get really good really fast mm-hmm. um, which was, all, uh, it was always something I was into and I liked it but like you just have to know like okay how a bass sound how does a drum sound and all that kind of stuff um, how do I get this particular kind of guitar sound like i sure like i can't use a, most of the stuff that i do for fun in a lot of the work stuff there's a couple there's certain tonalities that i'm allowed to do and it, it changes every like three or four years like at one point it was very uh like led zeppelin cashmere and then it was totally jack white and then it was mm-hmm. uh you know right now it's it's more synthy stuff so you have to sort of disguise the guitar uh, and sneak it in as as sort of cool as you can. 
and the music supervisors that I work with and stuff, they, they know everything that's like cool. So you can't fake it with them. And I can't like sneak in a Def Leppard kind of thing, mm -hmm. even though that's like on the weekend, that's all I'll, I'll go listen to Def Leppard. That's like, I just have to turn that side off and right. to like the real dirty stuff. All right. That's cool. So do you find that, um, your work mostly comes from uh, word of mouth, you know, like um, reputation. Well, it is. Um, the movie stuff is a really small industry and it gets smaller. And, you know, like Disney just bought Fox. So there's only a handful of studios and there's Netflix, Hulu and stuff. We've been doing it for like 15 years. Mm -hmm. So we're um, we'll get calls and say like, hey, we're working on this. Can you help us? make this cooler or make this bigger mm -hmm. or something like that. I mean, you can't like make David Bowie cooler, but you can make it, take it from a to C and add some emotion to it. And that's what it is. And whether that's adding like some sub bass or some extra drums or some strings or whatever it is, um, some extra little guitar stuff, like I was working on a track that had a Pearl Jam thing uh, yesterday and um, like that was super cool because I got to like play like real guitar on top of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's always fun. <laughs> the best was someone uh, had called a couple years ago and they wanted a, this is the dream call. They're like, we want like a Jimi Hendrix um, Star Spangled Banner. Mm. Oh, okay. So I had my B100. I turned it on 10. <laughs> and uh, the neighbor from across the street, it happened to be on like the 4th of July. And the, the neighbor across the street came over. This is a soundproof like building, basically. And he's like, oh, shit, man, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100 watts is uncontainable. You just can't. You can't contain it. Yeah. All right. It's, it's a beast. Especially on a Strat. 100 watts with a Strat will cut through anything. Yeah. yeah. Like lasers. That's why I always say like when, when uh, Philip Sace is across the street, he cuts <laughs> through all the walls like lasers with that strat. <laughs> yes. Amps and the Octavia and the Univive and all this stuff. He's just plain as day. It sounds like the walls it's are crumbling. It's frightening. He always um I mean, he's such so uh gracious and generous. He's like, oh you're you can play guitar here and he'll give me his guitar, which is a um You'll see later, Mark. But mm. so he's got a, a vintage Strat. I think it's six, like a '63, and he yeah. has super acidic um, sweat. So, like, literally, if I give him my telly, and he can play it for 30 seconds, and I'll get it back, and the next day I'll be like, it's like two years worth of rusted. grime. <laughs> yeah, the strings are rusted. It's incredible. Same, Luther, same one. Oh, is he like that? Yep, acid hands. <laughs> yeah, yes. totally. It's the craziest thing because I could have strings on my stuff for years. Yeah, like over and over. Um, but yeah, uh, I forget what I was saying. Uh, a little too much tequila, but <laughs> no, you were saying the uh, Philip Sace. Um... Oh, his sixty-three. So yeah. he's got his his action. He plays so fast, but his action is really high, and it mm -hmm. almost feels unaligned with the guitar. So if you doubled whatever high action you thought was high, it's but he's high. got super big frets. They're like bass frets. Wow. 
um, and it's really easy to play, but he'll hand it to me and he's got a super reverb that's on 10. Also like, um, sort of basically sort of like a dumbbell ish kind of thing. He has a, a signature amp with his dude in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and a Cesar Diaz Princeton, which is like, um, Cesar Diaz was, uh, Steve Ray Vaughn's tech and Keith Richards and, he helped dial in Steve Ray Vaughn's tone. So he'd make take a Princeton, put in like a, a Fender Twin transformer and put in an EV and do his other mojo to it. So it basically projects like a laser beam and it's incredibly loud and about 150 pounds in a tiny little like Fender yeah. Princeton mm-hmm. package. Mm-hmm. All of those running at once. And he's like, here, here's a Strat. Just go and play. And it's, it's, and it's a right. streamer, of course. Oh yeah, and a, you know a fuzz face with both knobs on maximum. <laughs> and to me, it's like this is not. I'm not used to this sort of thing. I'm fragile. I'm a fragile man. <laughs> it's it's scary Loud. when you're at that kind of level. Uh, what size strings does he play? Big fat ones? No, I would oh. guess tens. Oh okay. Maybe elevens, but I, I think maybe tens. He I... does squirt down with the like. Uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, fingeries. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a, a constant joke every time sure. he's over. Fingeries is up. Yeah. I never I, I never really got used to using that stuff. I tried it, and it was kind of like... It's just like slippery. It's like oil. Yeah. Oof. I just... and it. I remember I had a friend that used it and growing up, and... Uh, and uh, yeah. In fact, uh, that friend was the the guy that was in the background of that Jakey Lee video. <laughs> oh, really? That's the... yeah, Doug. Uh, he used to use that finger ease on his on his uh, Charvelli hat, and it was just like, wow, yeah, it's like grease. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, just... it's so slippery. I mean, you could do that like George Lynch vibrato. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. You put like, your yeah, 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 yeah. fly right off the strings. For the yeah. action is higher, so hey, maybe it's fine. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I, I just saw someone asked about the Up From the Ashes John Norum sound, which uh, amp would get that. I don't know. Do you guys know that album? Don Dawkin no. had a solo album? No. I do not, actually. Oh, no. So good. Really? Uh, yeah, so he pulled John Norum and this other dude, Billy. I'm going to blank him. Billy White, uh, who is this Texas guy. And it is a really good docking album basically really uh, but the tones are killer i and to answer the question i think just a b100 kind of gets there mm-hmm. maybe a les paul and great playing mm-hmm. that's cool so um, i have a question for dave too like you had mentioned in other podcasts that oh. you liked there's a punk side to you like <laughs> i totally get that and i yeah. think that's one of the things that sort of like I like about your products and amps, like they're refined, but there's always a little dangerous thing that's a little wild about them um, and is really rock. What were you listening to when you were a kid? Like in that, that pivotal time, that 13 to 16 kind of thing. You know, the, the funny thing is, uh, let's see. So my friend Marty who owns a guitar store in Michigan now called Motor City Guitar. Great guitar store if you ever guys want to buy anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, unbelievable selection of stuff at that store. Crazy. Like, the amount of pedals that are at that store is 
I mean, I've never seen so many ever anywhere. Um, so he started playing guitar first and, uh, you know, his family, he had an older sister that was sort of babbling in a band sort of, and that loved like old rock music and, you know, Led Zeppelin and, and all that stuff in the seventies. And, and, um, so probably the, the first records that I owned as a kid would have been, um, let's see, I could be wrong here, but it would have been, it's kind of disjointed too. Would have been Elton John, Elton John's greatest hits, uh, Toys in the Attic, Aerosmith. Um, and there might have been some Blondie. Mm-hmm. And there might have been some other horrible things like Sean Cassidy or some crap like that. But like, I, I don't, Dave, Sean Cassidy, David Cassidy, I don't know, something like that. Uh, but those are the, like the Elton John and uh, the Toys in the Attic were, I think, some of my first records I had. So did Aerosmith hit you with the guitar where it's like, like well, I remember a vivid dream of having like touching an electric guitar and not knowing what it was like. Like what? Well, what was your moment where it was like? Maybe, oh you my know, God. the Aerosmith record was that Led Zeppelin um, early stuff. But what happened? Um, what happened was there was that early sort of '70s stuff that I started to get into. But then um, my friend and I got into really like heavy thrash metal mm. music, and what I mean like heavy, I mean I'm talking like. You know, at the time, the more heavy and sort of satanic or crazy, you know, uh, you know, buck the norm sort of uh, music you could find, the better. So, like, you know, things like Venom and like Anthrax and 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 and. Uh, Were you into Testament? Metallica, not so much Testament. Um, I, was, I was big into you know, Testament. Bands like Raven, bands like uh, Saxon, bands band, like oh, band you called deep. Death. Uh, they're um, um, like uh, uh, King uh, Merciful Fate. Hmm. Uh, wow, you know, uh, Man of War, uh, 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 all these crazy, heavy, 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 almost satanic metal bands. Wow, uh, uh, or you know, satanic. I don't really, say, I don't think that was really the deal, <laughs> but uh, you know, called at the time, you know, uh, really, really heavy for a while. That was the first sort of stage. Uh, although before that part, my first concert was The Who, 1981. Oh, that's a great oh, first wow. concert. I started with the classic, then got to this really heavy stage. Uh, and then that slowly morphed kind of more into the, uh, then Van Halen all of a sudden, you know. And then, and then it got into other like sort of hair metal and different things like that after I got kind of out of the super heavy stuff. But it was like all over the map. So it was all from the classic stuff through. And a lot of the early thrash, like I'm talking about, was punk based. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of respects. You, you look at some of that, it is punk based a little bit, you know, there, or there's elements of it in it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then it got into, you know, the later 80s and, the, you know, the mid 80s and stuff with, you know, I was looking at a, a concert database of uh, Joe Louis Arena. Uh, which is probably where I saw most of the concerts I ever saw. 
And I was looking at this concert database, and I was just going down the list. I go, oh, yeah, saw that, saw that, saw that. Judas Priest, yeah, Iron Maiden, yep, uh-huh. Mm. Check, 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 down the list. That's awesome. So, I mean, like, everything from 1981 through the time I moved, 1987, I probably saw that came through Detroit. That was hard rock oh. or metal. That's great. Your parents let you go. I remember I... I mean, I remember seeing... I remember going to a festival with my older friend that drove that when I was really young, my, my friend Marty and I went with this other guy, this guy named Mike and, uh, he drove and, you know, the festival was, you know, had like Ozzy and quiet riot and triumph and all this stuff. And we slept in the car mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, all this stuff, you know? So it, it was cool. I mean, I saw a lot of, I saw all those bands, when in, in Detroit and if anyone knows anything about Detroit, it's the best place period to see a rock concert. There's great, great Is fans. It the fans? It's, say, the it's the fans. Yeah. It's the fans. Yeah. It's the fans. It's just like, it's, it's, it's like when you see a show in Detroit, it's like the fans are so into it. You just you you get this feeling from them, you know, from the audience. The the energy from the audience alone mm. is just makes it just bigger than it is, you know. Yeah, they're drunk. They're getting in fights. <laughs> it's like you know, it's it's they're all drinking. It's all a mess. It's like going to a Philadelphia Eagles game. And I've seen recent shows in Detroit in recent years. It's the same still to this day. Wow. And it's not like L.A. shows at all. L.A. shows it's, are tame, right? People are sitting it's down. It's nothing like it at all. Yeah. It's like these people are in it. They're they're going out. It's the show. They're going to see their band they love, and they're drinking, and they're having a good time. Say, sporting events are the same way. It's just like, you know. It, it would be the difference between seeing a sporting event in L.A. versus seeing a sporting event in New York. Right. Well, that's what I was saying. Yeah, go go see go see a football game in Philadelphia. Yeah, it's a big difference, right? Yeah, <laughs> drunk, bunch of drunk, disorderly people. Yeah, you're gonna get your ass kicked. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's 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 it's. Uh, I was fortunate to actually see shows there. I, I remember I, seeing, I remember seeing Black Sabbath with Ian Gillen singing. Oh uh, wow! On on that uh, at Cobo Arena in Detroit. Kobo, the famous Kobo Arena where Kiss recorded their live stuff and a bunch of other bands. That's awesome. I saw, uh, I took my family to um, see the the Tigers play the uh, Angels. Oh, yeah, at the Tiger Uh, Stadium. Yeah, yeah, a couple years ago. And we were the only Angels fans. (laughs) My son is huge Mike Trout fan. And it, this is part of my wife's family is from Detroit, so I have a, a very soft spot for Detroit. Um, and then all the fans around started yelling at Mike Trout to give my son a baseball because he was wearing an Angels jersey. Like that doesn't happen in L.A. and stuff. No. And they were like, they were taunting Mike Trout like, "Hey, man, don't you know your fan is right here?" <laughs> and he came back and he gave him a ball. Really? Like, oh, that's killer. I was like, that is amazing. Wow. So that, that really, right. like, planted a nice seed for, Beautiful, for Detroit. Beautiful stadium, huh? 
Oh, it's amazing. It's and you amazing. just walk and hop on the little monorail and you go yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Get some hot dogs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you had conies, didn't you? I I did. I did it because I'm I'm into A-B tests. I had both. I had the <laughs> things called American. American dog. and Lafayette. Uh-huh. Yeah. I had both. Both hot dogs. What would you like better? And? Uh, they're both great. I don't know. I'm from LA. I don't care. The hot dog with chili on it. It's great. The right answer is Lafayette. I was going to say Lafayette's probably better. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we got Although you, you will get Detroiters that will argue this point. Well, yeah. they both have been there for whatever 30, 40, 50 well, years. They, they used to be owned by the same family. Oh. It used to be two brothers that were pissed off at each other, so they opened a restaurant next to each other. <laughs> Like Nikes and uh, uh, Adidas. Uh, that, uh, it, yeah. Now, the, the original family still owns American, but uh, the other brother at one time sold Lafayette off to the employees. No, it's Lafayette. Interesting. Uh, oh, so it's, a, it's like a employee-owned or the employees now employee, are the, yeah. the fat cats? Employee-owned. Huh. That's cool. So That was great. I love Detroit. I've never been. My, my mother-in-law keeps it. My mother-in-law is German. Her husband, my father-in-law, is um, it was born in Detroit. It was he was on Eight Mile. He was born on Eight Mile or grew up there. Um, whatever the movie one was, yeah, uh, whatever mile. mile that is. Yeah. Um, so they got me this Detroit City shirt, and they got me two of them. So and I'm not like, I only have six shirts. If you watch my videos, you'll see the same shirt recycle over <laughs> and over. <laughs> So it's uh, it's often Detroit City across my chest. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, you should you should go again. It's even changed more since then. God, since when you went? That was a few years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. two or three years ago. Yeah, bustling. Yeah, yeah. The food scene is unbelievable there now. Yeah, that's what you were saying. Crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, I need like, to I need to check it out. I can't like like honestly like I like there I could find. Five or six. All I hear is chips. Oh, sorry. It's not <laughs> chips. It's donuts. What are you eating? I'm so sorry. I'm eating donuts from the shop. <laughs> and then I, then I was saying uh, the uh, you find five or six or seven like un- downtown unbelievable restaurants that'll blow your mind. I have a hard time thinking of one or two here they have like a <laughs> like you know we have chinatown there's like a middle eastern town or um indian? Yeah, mm-hmm. what Dearborn. is it indian or middle eastern no middle eastern it's the largest uh, uh middle eastern population in north america maybe or something mm. the the huge middle eastern population i bet the food unbelievable food there too <laughs> I, I bet yeah and and also the Chinese food has real egg rolls. Oh. Anyone from New York will probably know what that is. Yeah. It's not Man. not like Panda Express. <laughs> <laughs> I miss real Chinese food. You know the real egg rolls with the the the, the big one, egg rolls rolled in the actual not the thin paper like the, the like the yeah you know breading. Yeah, and then and then the you know sweet and sour sauce that's kind of clear that has little red flakes in it, mm-hmm. and you know. Bean sprouts inside with every oh god, it doesn't exist. You can't buy them. You can't get them in LA. There's one or two places that sort of make them, 
kind of not really really yeah can't get them here yeah chinese food sucks down here too too, but you know like but in detroit i found a place in dearborn actually that is a cash only little chinese restaurant with red vinyl booths that just you know hasn't been updated since 1970 something and spot on the egg rolls are just like spot on it's just like yes that's what i'm talking about that's what i grew up with that's so funny you bring this up because my kids and I, we still talk about this L.A. vacation that we went. We went to L.A. We landed on Christmas Eve and um, we went to, was it Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? Maybe it was Christmas Day. And we went to this Szechuan uh, restaurant, which was right in like off, God, maybe Ventura Boulevard or whatever it was. It was right in Hollywood um, and uh, or downtown in L.A. And um it was the worst piece of shit. Oh my, oh my god! And and the and the waitress was like basically saying to us like I'm after tonight I'm quitting I'm quitting I'm never coming back. <laughs> the only place the only place you can get decent Chinese food in uh, Los Angeles in San Gabriel Valley. Ah. Really? Yeah, San Gabriel Valley, tons. I mean, it's a whole. Asian population that you know uh, it's just, you know, traditional Szechuan and there you like, go. Whatever, whatever style you want. You uh, can get great Korean food. You can downtown. Yep. Little Korea town. Yep. Yep. You get fantastic. All I know is you get great Thai food everywhere. <laughs> and, and, like you can you find anywhere in in your area you can find a great place. I've been jonesing for Rock Roscoe's chicken since Nam. <laughs> I mean, I went I there. Waffles. Yeah, I had the chicken, fried chicken, and waffles, and I was like in freaking heaven. And every once in a while, I'll be scrolling through my phone and I'll see that picture from Nam, and I'm like, oh, I can't wait for next year. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, Michael, have you ever been there? Oh yeah, many uh, times. It's great, that's, right? That's yeah. I am a waffles chicken. You put the little hot sauce. Oh. It, that's that's the best. It was amazing. I I can't wait to go back next year. It's good. It's good. It, good stuff. Hey, there's a question in the chat I want to get to. Um, I've got everyone chiming in about Detroit places. Oh yeah. <laughs> JMP. <Buddy's pizza. laughs> um, sorry, Dave. JMP twenty two oh four rocker says question for Dave: Are PPIMVs only intended for non master volume amps? That's what I thought. Um, I don't know what that means, so I'll be right back. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, post-based inverter master volume is mostly intended for that, although they're not that great. I mean, they're okay. Um, they kind of uh, – what they do is when you have them down low, they take the negative feedback loop out. It's useless. Your presence doesn't work. Hmm. And by doing that, it tends to be brighter down low and – they don't work that well, to be honest. I mean, I, I don't think they, I mean, they sound okay. They don't, but I've tried many designs and I've always come back to a more traditional master. Hmm. Tried that over the years and it just doesn't, it's, not, it's, it's okay. You're better off with an attenuator than a master volume amp. Gotcha. He said, because he said, I've seen uh, people on the forums doing this mod on 2203s and 2204s. Doesn't it? Well, you can, you can do that. Uh, and it will add more gain, so to speak. Mm. That was the famous Rockstar mod, Rockstar mod, um, that he sort of developed. But 
to be honest, it's 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 kind of a less than perfect science, meaning the lower the volume goes, down really low, it sounds pretty cool. Right in the middle on the post-phase inverter master, it sounds kind of weird. As you get up louder, it starts to sound better as the negative feedback loop comes back in. So it's kind of inconsistent in where the taper is on the on the master. It's uh, I I don't choose to use it. I prefer an attenuator. Okay. Um, here's a question: Cars in depth, Dave. Would a Western Electric three hundred B tubes make good make a good guitar amp? Probably not. Never really been used for guitar amps ever. They were mostly hi-fi stuff. Have you played through any of those like projector amps? Like the, the ones where they take a projector and they mod it into... I have. They're, cool. they're pretty cool. Yeah, they're fun. They look great. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's, a, cool. one... it's good just to have just to have in the studio just to look at. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you don't yeah. use it. Yeah. I mean, it looks cooler than shit. <laughs> You know, sometimes, you know, the cool factor is outweighs everything else. <laughs> <laughs> but once but you plug it in. Amp, though, sometimes, like. Looks it, a lot it, better than a Kemper. Yeah, that's true. Although <laughs> I, see, I see one behind you, Michael. I know, he's got one there. He makes profiles. <laughs> he just <Yeah>. hit it. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's what I understand. You make great, you make killer profiles, Dave said. Uh, I, I I try to, um, you know, with the rack stuff, it's I find it hard to dial in like a great tone. So, but that's where like when I when I was thirteen to fifteen, like it was all rack stuff, mm-hmm. and now when I look at it, it's like that's kind of silly. Like it's almost bringing like a full mixing console for your amp like it's humongous the stuff that you're bringing so for me it's just like eh, if, if there's a way to hit a like apple save apple s kind of like save that sort of thing and, the, and like i use the kemper today like i was telling you on that pearl jam thing it sounds good it's not ever great hmm. it's it, sometimes it can it you'll luck out It'll be great. It's just not the same. Sometimes when I get bummed out on my playing and I'm like, ugh, my playing is the same. And you plug into a real tube amp. You know, you could play metal, blues, rootsy stuff without changing a knob on a tube amp. Mm-hmm. And it's all there. It just bends to your will. With the Kemper, you're like, well, you know, sometimes the planets align and it sounds great. You know, it always sounds great. It could sound good. It just it's it's not quite the same, but you know it's fun, and you know I like not having to plug in twenty cables and try and dial in the Bogner access or the Bogner fish to that one time I had it sounding really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could save that. I'd be like, oh, that's that's cool. That kind of scratches that itch. That and it it you know it serves a purpose. But if I when I'm working up a track. If the fundamental um, element is the guitars, to me, it's got to be a real speaker and a microphone first. I could overdub with the Kemper. Like, overdubs are fine. It, it'll squeeze in. I could put harmony guitars. I could put extra little parts and whatevers. But you, it just does not 
in the software. Like to me, it's a bummer when someone puts out an album and it's software or it's all Kemper. Like there's, there's people that is like, Oh, I was really interested in the album they were going to put out. And then I found out like, Oh, they, it was all software. Like it, there's a certain amount of like importance that emotionally connects when you're capturing the air with a microphone that happens Mm -hmm. and it, there's no way around it. You, yeah. Yeah. My, my plugin, it'll sound pretty good, but I guarantee the emotional connection to capturing it with a little bit of air, even if it doesn't sound as good is better and it'll last longer. It just, and that's what I deal with every day. Cause like, I'm every piece of music that I sell to a movie or to a trailer is a competition. Mm. So there's God knows how many other people pitching for the same piece of music. So I could go the cheap route and just do it quickly and sometimes have to. But if I know that this is important to me, it's important to them, it's got to be the real thing. And it, it really does make a difference and emotionally and and the longevity and it's just i don't know i could go on forever about that i love the kemper i think it's a cool tool and it's really fun but in no way does it emotionally or or like connect the same way almost the worst tube amp Mm -hmm. you can get would connect in the same way Yep. It's a, it's a, it's kind of a weird thing. I mean, you know, you got great stuff behind you. When you plug it in, I'm sure you're you never go like plug it in and go like, I don't know why I'm so bummed. Like yeah. this whole day I'm so bummed. The Kemper, you could spend a whole day and be like, "Ooh, I'm bummed. I spent the whole day trying to get a tone." Hmm. Like, I better buy some more stuff. <laughs> you know? Sometimes it works. Sometimes you find the cool thing. Like right. I have I found a I had a cool profile that I had done of a Bogner ecstasy that was like that worked fine that was great but it was also on top of a track with strings and extra percussion and it was just a it was a little extra thing and mm-hmm. it was cool it's just it's it's not the same thing it's it's a, I'm caught in between two worlds because I'm I'm like I'm promoting this one thing that's like yeah they kind of they sound like the preamps but it'll if you like the preamp you should get the preamp because that will really make you happy. Right. That's kind of, that's my take on it. Yeah. Um, someone asked earlier what your, what your thoughts are on the modern preamps. Um, I think they're all great from what I've, you know, obviously the synergy stuff is great, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. Um, I haven't heard the pre the, um, synergy stuff. I heard the original Egnator slash Randall stuff. Bruce's stuff I thought it sounded really good. The Randall stuff, less good. Um, I'm assuming that the Synergy stuff sounds really good. I haven't heard a lot of demos that sound great of the Synergy stuff. I just there it's there aren't a lot of demos of it. There sounds it sounds the same. It, it, like I did it. A lot of it, and it, it sounds the same as the real amp. You know, it sounds 
a b to the real thing it's within a couple percent of what what the real amp is yeah um, you know what um i forget his name but the oh. metropolis guy mm-hmm. George uh, metropolis. he did it yeah he did a uh a B and it was like yeah that sounds great yeah the problem with with every preamp thing is like you could take the preamp so you got the preamp and you've got the the module and someone could take it and put it into the worst sounding power amp yeah and that's which is at good. least 50 percent I feel like 60 70 mm-hmm. percent of the tone yeah. mm-hmm. and it's gonna make your preamp sound like shit mm-hmm. so like there's a lot of that out there. If you plug your, you could plug a mediocre preamp into a great power amp, and it's gonna sound pretty, pretty damn good. Yeah. But it was like Dave, like I found like even with something like the Saldano, which is a, a it's a great sounding preamp. Mm-hmm. It really matters how hard or the level you're coming from the preamp into the power amp. Like, yeah. Well, uh, well, yeah. It depends. Well, it sort of depends on what power amp it is, though. Again, sort of. It, that may not be the case with everything, but it sort of depends on what power amp you're going into. I mean, you know, the classic thing for the Soldano preamp is an old H and H power amp, which wasn't tubes at all. Right. I've never and, heard one. Are they are they clean, or what do they sound like? Yeah. No, they're clean. Um, but it it's uh, it has. The H and H with the Soldano had a sound. I mean, Luke used to—that's what he used—and that sounded great. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with Mike Lando in the early days. You know, it sounded great, and often later it didn't sound as good when he changed it. He changed to a different power amp, and then it didn't sound as good as the H and H actually. H and H, great was a great sounding amp. That's what I hear. Yeah. It's cool. It's a beast, but it's cool. Um, I just need to get a napkin. Can I just spill a little beer? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, but I, personally, I, I, I've got the Synergy running through uh, the BE100. You know, I've got the same one. Well, there you go. <laughs> and it sounds fantastic. So, you know, um, so I don't have any problems with that. But yeah, that's why I was asking about the whether a, a Synergy can run through like the MOS valve and how would it sound? Mm. Oh, you have this, uh, I see there, it's a the, the single? Yeah, unit? I've got the SYN one up there. Mm. And, I run, and I run that through the BE-100. Uh, that's cool. And it sounds great. It sounds awesome. You should try it. If you haven't tried the Synergy stuff, you should try it. Yeah, I I gotta do that. Um, I sold my my diesel to get my BE one hundred, uh, Dirty Shirley one hundred. Ah. But then they came out with a diesel preamp uh, for a Synergy, and I thought like, well, that'd be a nice little like. Yeah, it sounds good. Compromise. Yeah, the Savage. I have one on the way. I think. Mm, um, yeah, it's cool. cool. Let me grab a napkin, Dave. Um, I think there was a question about uh someone has, there's a whole bunch of Oh, questions. go ahead. You take it. I'll be right back. Someone someone asked if I was ever going to make a preamp and the, yes. Answer. What? Yes. What? Preamp. But it probably be pedal form. Oh. But it will be a preamp. And 
Um, we shall see what the, the feature set will be in that. But uh, it's coming. It's sort of my answer to tube direct guitar. Mm. So. Well, and I, I will say on direct guitar side, the Mike No Mo sounds really good. Um, it's interesting. Like, I found it. Okay, so you you run through the Mike No Mo, and mm -hmm. you've got your signal, and I found a little bit of EQ makes it sound actually like legit good mm -hmm. like it's killer sounding um you know i don't know how hard it is to like build in eq into other stuff but it like whatever you've got going on there if you could get a little it, it, what i found it was a little more presence in it really sort of like lifted the tone yeah 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 are you using the darker position yes and because you had mentioned that darker and sounds I found better I liked it better. And then if you add here, presence adding, after. Yes. Yes. Um, then it's good. Really yes. good. Yes. Because my first impression on the runts was to use the axis center. Yeah. Um, because it's brighter. Yeah. But if you use the edge center, which is darker, and then you add your own EQ, it, it just sounds good. Oh, it's, really? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's cool. Really but yeah. you're stuck also with, like, um, you have to sounds still going to be coming out of your cabinet in yeah. this current form. Yes. Like, so if you're not a live guy, um, you have to figure out a way to, to load you down your, um, your signal at that point too. Uh, here's a, here's a question. Uh, lo uh, locking nut said, if a speaker in a 412 is failing, will it mess up the power section of your amp head? Uh, most likely not, um, because you still have a load on your amp head. Um, it's still presenting it with some sort of load, so you won't harm it. Um, I have a question. Have a qu 4 by 12 thoughts? Well, <laughs> uh, sounds like a Kemper into a 412. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't even know what to say to that one. Um, okay, so let me let me address. I'll do. I'll going to alter that into a one twelve. So, Celestian sent me one of their full range speakers. Speakers, yeah. Uh, F twelve or something like that. I have one and sitting it, in the box. Yeah, it, and it sounds really good. It's it's in a one twelve cabinet. It sounds like the Kemper. You know what? It sounds like my studio monitors. Mm -hmm. So, and it sounds robust. I could turn it up to God knows what, like insane volumes, and it'll sound like the Kemper coming out of the studio monitors. Mm -hmm. um, when I just went straight into the power amp and straight into a Vintage 30, it removed like a veil, like a layer off of it. So it, I felt more immediate to the tone, but. I lost the ability to control whether I was coming, I was miking up a 110, a 112, 412, whatever it was. Mm. It's not a studio monitor anymore. I'm getting the tone of the, the, the speaker. So, I mean, you any 412, you could just alter the tone of the Kemper into that. But I'm going to also go back to my earlier comments about, like, go get yourself, like, a JJ Jr. or a... a a mini Dirty Shirley mm -hmm. and plug into a 412 and AB it to any profile you get 
and then see we'll we'll judge the smile on your face um, <laughs> after it. We'll measure it. Yeah. All right. There's a big difference. Um, Robert Baker had asked what my favorite and your favorite Michael uh, Friedman amps are um, that you own. I'll let you go first. Uh, I go back and forth because I'm a total sucker for the Dirty Shirley stuff because it's got an insane amount of bottom end. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm lucky Dave built me this 100-watt Dirty Shirley BE100. So, like, literally the bass knob is on two, and it's a ton of bottom end Mm. on the Dirty Shirley side. Um, But, again, like I was talking about for trailer stuff, like, to try and get something different and try and get something cool, it's kind of pushing into the weird Jack White and Muse and that kind of stuff to where you're not doing, unfortunately, I can't do, like, a brown sound kind of thing. They reject that. So this kind of like, it's got presence, but it also has a huge bottom end. I don't have to use a bass guitar. Like the Dirty Shirley circuit is the closest to what I would like. That was built for me. Like I have a mini Dirty Shirley at home that that's what I play through at home. And I plug in and I'm always happy. Like you can play anything through it. Put a pedal in it and it'll get you to Van Halen. Any pedal just Mm -hmm. to get a little extra boost depending on the pickups. And um, yeah, that's it. And at, at work, I mostly use the the hundred watt Dirty Shirley side. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's the BE one hundred. Although it's a real close second to the uh, the Pink Taco Wildwood Edition. That amp. So I haven't played the Pink Taco. That's one of the like the Pink Taco and the Naked. Are the few times, every time I go over there to Friedman, I'm like. <laughs> You hey should, man, do you have a do you have a pink dog? Do you have a, a naked? Nope. You should hear what I did today. I did an amp for someone who wanted he had a, he well he got a pink pink taco uh, and uh, actual pink one and uh, and he wanted a switch that um, kind of gave, gave it a dirty Shirley vibe. So it was sort of a hybrid. So you had your it's sort of similar to your other amp, but it sort of had both. Yeah. In a, like a 20-watt zone? Yeah, yeah. Ooh. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. Super. Yeah, I, I, it was better than I – I mean, I, I did it, and I'm like, wow, this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> that might be an option. Good. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so the Pink Taco Wildwood Edition is a super cool amp. Um Great stuff. Did uh, hey Dave? Did did Joe Bonamassa ever take a Dirty Shirley from you? Uh, Joe Bonamassa had a hundred watt Dirty Shirley. He did. So, okay, so similar he, to what I have on my site. He used it for a while, and then I think he I think his tech owns it now. Hmm. Yeah. Oh. And the EV speakers, EV. I don't know if any of you have used EV speakers. They're weird. Coming oh, yeah. from a right. Celestian 30, it is like, a, I don't know, it's like pickles and oranges. Yeah, exactly. It is, it is weird. Yeah. Hmm. But can be good. Uh-huh. Oh, totally. Uh, like, Phil will come over, Philip Sace will come over, and we'll be demoing up some new songs. And his amps sound like shit through the Vintage 30. And I'll switch over to, I have an EV in um, 412. 
and it sounds perfect. Yeah, so there you go. You know, it's, EVs were a huge thing for a long time in LA with the, the little 112 cabinets that every studio guitar player had. It was a big, you know, EV 112. With the ported, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. ported bottom. Yep. Yeah, it was cool. It's fine. It was. It was a sound. <laughs> it doesn't sound like you're in love with that I mean, sound. No, it's a sound. No, it, it, it's cool. It's uh, uh, it's not for every amp. Actually, EVs with a Fender amp sound great. So mm-hmm. that I, you know, um, yeah, just whatever Mark, you like. <laughs> Mark, were you ever into the like Lukather Landau, Michael Thompson, Dan Huff like world? Not really. Only until recently, I got into. Um, I mean, you know, Steve Lukather, yes, um, but yeah, the 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 Landau stuff. No, I, you know, just just recently, I had some friends who sent me some stuff, and I was like, oh, this is great. And but no, why do you ask? Oh, I'm just curious because, like, those to me, those are the quintessential rack guys. Yeah, they were the LA studio guys that. I mean, like and, growing up, tough. Steve Lukather and Mike Landau. Yeah, those were the dudes. Mm-hmm. It was like, those were the, the guys on the pop side. So it was like, I had these Amy Grant records, mm. and then I had like Disincarnate and like heavy, like super heavy stuff right. on the other side. And to me, it was all the same because it was like, oh, look at this. This is such a good guitar player mm-hmm. over there. You just have to sift through the sappy pop song right. and get to the solo. But. Yeah, um, no, I, I mean, when I, I, I love Toto, uh, clearly, you know, when, when that stuff came out. So I was, but I, I, you know, and I never really, back then, I really knew anything about Steve Lukather until I started really playing guitar. So, mm-hmm. but, uh, but no, that, that wasn't, that wasn't like my thing, like the rack thing and everything. But I know some friends who were totally into it. Someone what just said you? Jakey Lee used EVs with his Marshalls. Is that right? Hmm. Uh, not that I know of. That didn't sound EV-ish. Doesn't sound right. Uh, Zach did. Hmm. Zach did. Zach did. What is Jesus. Mike's string gauge preference? Ro Camp wants to know. Um, I like tens. So my main studio guitars, which I play almost everything for work on, is either my Friedman Red one. Uh, with the P90s, I had to switch out the bridge pickup because uh, it was a regular bridge pickup with a single coil hum. So I put in a Lawler, hmm. uh, which didn't sound as good, but it has no hum, so I could get away with it. Uh, so that's uh, one of them, my Les Paul uh, uh, standard and my Tele, which is a no-caster reissue. With also Lawler noiseless hmm. pickups, and the, my Les Paul has Lawler Imperials in it. Those are the main like work guitars. My fun guitars. Oh, and the, all of those have tens on them. Hmm. Uh, just like I don't know Ernie Ball tens. I'm not really all that picky there. Um, my fun guitars is the Friedman Cali, um, which I think has tens on it. Um, and that's the close. My best sounding guitar is the Tally and Les Paul. The Cali sounds like the Les Paul, just a little leaner, as you'd expect. Mm-hmm. It's not a Les Paul. Um, 
but it's got that sort of presence to it. So like it's a, a little like leaner, but it still has that cut to it. So the Cali has tens, I think. And, um, I just put a hybrid nine to 46, I think on my Friedman, uh, the blue one. Uh, I don't know what it's called the T. Um, so, and I, I, I don't know. I've been kind of like waffling between tens and, and the hybrid nine, 10, but I think I'm going to go back to the tens. I like the tension on the tens mm-hmm. yeah. a lot. Yeah. I, 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 for Floyd Roses, though, I like nines for me, but that's cool. Um, it's a it's a tricky balance because the Floyd Rose, like, I want it to be really smooth and wiggly, but also like I really miss the tension of the Telly and the Les Paul with tens. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also juggle picks like, like there's no tomorrow. I'll go, be, I'll go between the, um, the Dunlops, like the orange, the point sixties, and then go up to the like I have the I like the bigger jazz threes. Mm-hmm. If I have to play something articulate, the ones that I could actually hold because the Eric Johnson size are so small. Yeah, like I can't actually hold them. Um, but I have to jump between, depending on the style. Like for bass, it's always this like orange sixties. For strummy stuff, it's the yellow or the orange, and then uh, the more articulate and like modern metal-y stuff, I just get heavier, and the more groovy stuff, I get lighter. Hmm. And then if it's something that's really super groovy, I'll play all upstrokes, um, which is really hard. <laughs> and it sounds like <laughs> it sounds like I barely know how to play guitar, but it'll sound kind of cool. <laughs> um, G Man Music, Dave, are you doing an amp for Neil Sean? Uh, could be. Ooh. No, he said that. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're doing something. We'll see what it winds up being. Uh, Rick Hollis says, "What's up, Rick?" Just bought a bunch of NYXL 9.5s. I have a few of those. Halfway and best of both worlds for me. Yeah. Those are cool. I, I, I may try those on my, my Floyd Rose guitars. Um, so we had a question from Robert Baker. He said, uh, what's the worst accident you've had on a, on your gear or something? Uh, what's everyone's worst gear accident? Dropped an amp or guitar? Hmm. Uh, oh, so mine is um, I have the Fryat power station, and I, I talked to Steve about this. There's no actual like he should have a red outlined like washer screw on the power amp to speaker, and he said it just doesn't fit. So because I was jumping between like speaker and amp and preamp and all this stuff. I plugged a 50 watt power amp directly into my um, my computer interface. Oh, and I was like, I was like, hmm, I wonder why I'm not getting any sound. And then um, I heard oh. an incredible explosion <laughs> from the other room and a little pop. And so I blew up my symphony system. 
but I had to, I've taken my my apogees over to apogee. Thankfully, they're in Santa Monica. I've taken them over so many times, but that was the worst. I plugged a 50 watt <laughs> power amp into a computer interface directly uh, with with nothing in between. It was just like, here you go, <laughs> a nuclear blast. <laughs> I can't Goodbye. think. Goodbye. Of- I can't think of one personally off the top of my head. Uh, I, 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 uh. When was the last time you were electrocuted? Oh, that happens routinely. <laughs> <laughs> that happens routinely. Even still, uh, huh? Longer, no, no. The longer you do it, the more you get electrocuted. Oh. Because the more haphazard you, you get. You're like, I'm a pro. I know this. I've been doing this for it's like, yeah, years. like, yeah, on. I can just change part in there while it's on, right? <laughs> then you make a little slip and touch something and you're like ah god ever you mark it's okay uh haven't electrocuted myself in a while um yeah i don't have any gear it, uh accidents that i can think of um yeah nothing i except for like you know like the guitar on the uh you know the my my cali up on the, the fan the other night but That'll the, do it. Yeah, that was... I, but I just looked at it and was like, oh, it looks pretty much the same. <laughs> so, yeah. I've got this um, this Marshall Silver Jubilee reissue. Um, and for the life of me, I could not get it to sound good. And I go back and forth with it. Um, and then I saw on that John Norum website, I'm like, oh, here's the John Norum settings. Let me go find his. All of them are always like the master volume is just blitzed yeah and so i thought well i'll plug it into the power station and every time the last time i did that i found joe bonamassa's settings which are the the master volume is on 10 Mm. and it blew up the amp really uh, within three minutes yeah i don't know if it's it was poor tubes or something and then this one i plugged in the power station and i got that that really delicious electrical fire smell. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I got to turn this back. This isn't going to work for me. This is going to be, this is going to be bad news. So, I averted disaster, but so you couldn't, so you couldn't turn it all the way up. No, I mean it's a, it. There's potential for a really good sound out of that amp. It's got one sound. Right. It's one really cool sound. Um, and it's weird. It's like. Uh, and it's like going to an escape room. If you could find the, the proper code, like it's got a good sound. Right. But um, yeah, when when you get to a certain point, I don't know. The reissue does not is not happy. Not happy at all. Yeah. Hey, Dave, I have a question with like, so I, I understand the need for on production amps. You have to have a consistency with tubes, and they have to work. That's like the number one thing. They have to work. Yes. But you know, you could go online and get new old stock tubes and stuff like that. Um, so the, can I just, while the amp is working, can I pull a preamp tube and try another preamp tube? Yeah. While it's so, on, you can do it. While it's on. And what do I it take? a paper pop towel? or something. But, you know. Take a paper towel and do it because they get hot? Preamp tubes don't get that hot. They get a little hot, but it's not like enough where you can't pull them out. Power amp tubes? Should I not? Power amp tubes. You don't want to pull that out with your bare hands while it's going. Okay. Yeah, you should. Yeah, 
And also, when you put new power tubes, you should have it rebiased anyway. Okay, I don't know anything about that, so I'll just stick with the preamp tubes. Rick, yeah. Rick Hollis says, my power station smells when I crank up the small box through it as well. Oh, maybe then, maybe it's something just when you put a bunch of power through the power station. Hmm. Yeah, just the resistors are getting really hot, and they, they kind of tend to start to smell. Oh. But it's not going to blow it up? Good question. <laughs> might. Hey, Steve Fry, Steve Fry, it's right down the street as well, so. Yeah, so it's not too hard. I saw he's coming out with a V2, or a, actually a new version of the power station. Yeah, it's a new version, and it has KT88s. Oh, really? Oh. The hunt, if you read in into the advertisement, it's two channels. Right. Switch between sets of controls. So two sets of controls, and it's a 100-watt power section. Oh, shit. With KT88s. So wow. what's the pur- what's the purpose of the, the, the dual section? Is it uh, so you can use well, two you can amps? Signal levels. No, just volume. Oh, so you, can have, so you can have a boost? Yeah. Tone or volume. I see. Yeah. Okay. Steve is a super cool guy. Like, he's one of those guys that you just flip the switch of, like, can you tell me about this? And you've got 40 minutes of, like, incredible, like, historical guitar amp information. Oh, Steve, Steve's awesome. I've known him forever. You know, I've known him. I remember when he walked in the door with the first uh, Pitbull amplifier. He's another guy that has that punk angle, like that you. Oh, big, way, little... big time. Yeah. Especially yeah. Him. Big time. He used to be in the Dickies. That's really. Right. Yeah. I didn't know that. You need to go back and watch our tone talk. Yeah, yeah. He talked about that. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. missed that. Yeah. He's got a killer shell pink uh, Esquire, old shell pink Esquire. Original uh, shell pink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Original. Really. Wow. Badass. He's had it forever. As long as I've known him, he's had it, and uh, it's a killer guitar. And I told him I'm making I'm making a Friedman Pink Esquire, shell pink Esquire, and he's like, I gotta see that. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So he's coming out with a new power amp. I saw, or it's a thirty. It's an anniversary edition of his power amp. Yes. Oh, the classic. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. It's expensive. But expensive. It's, it's, uh, yeah. I asked. It, I asked how much it was, but. It, the classic is really good. It's sort of like the inverse of the twenty one fifty. Um, I had a friend that let me borrow his classic, and when I plugged it in, I thought it was broken because I was so used to the scoop sound of the twenty one fifty. And it's almost the inverse of mm-hmm. the the twenty one fifty. The classic is like if the twenty one fifty is a, a scoop, the classic is a mid range hump. Big hump, yeah. Yeah, it's but it's it's great sounding. And so the classic and the Steve was saying the power station is based on the classic idea. Yeah. Except the the power station is fairly transparent. Mm-hmm. So he had good. said, um, "I could only retain so much information," but he's, he gave me so much information. There's a point in the power tubes where you can get a lot of character out out of them, or you could get a very neutral sound. And um, I think the power station is more in that neutral zone. Um, you don't need to double up on, you know, EL34 tones if you're plugging a Marshall into the power station. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. But that's such a good tool. It's a re- and it's a really good sounding power amp. Yeah, no, yeah. it sounds great. 
It sounds great. I'm I'm actually looking forward to uh, when Boss comes out with their uh, what's it called again? The Waza the tube expander. expander. Yeah, the tube expander. Tube expander. Does that have a power amp section in it? Oh yeah. Oh, it does. Yeah. Oh, you told me that sounded good, huh? Sounded really good. We we did some pretty exhaustive tests here. We listened. Uh, we compared loads of different uh, load devices and a real cabinet with a static IR, so we could really hear what the different loads were doing compared to a real cabinet in another room. And uh, and the bosses uh, in, in a certain setting on the because you got you have like a four or five position I forgot uh, for low and high frequencies of the load, so you can make it sound like different speakers. Um, oh wow. So, I mean, in the one setting that we had, which I think was both knobs all the way up, um, was the classic kind of Marshall kind of four by twelve thing, and it it was the closest to the real four by twelve by far as a load. And then we did a test where we tracked one of my old my old Marshall Plexi um, direct just to the cabinet, right? And then we put the Waza tube expander between the Plexi and the cabinet. Using its power amp, match the volume, track that, and then uh, you know edited it together so it was one pass to see if we could hear the difference, and we couldn't. Hmm. Oh, couldn't hear it. I was waiting for the power amp not to be great, but it was really good. Wow. And, and like we we all stood in the room, we we're like, can you hear a difference? Can you hear a difference? None of us could hear the difference. I mean, if there was a difference, it was like 1% different, as much as like a different brand of cable. Right. You know, yeah. like nothing, nothing crazy. It was, it was all there. Hmm. But honestly, everything Boss makes is pretty damn good. It's pretty yeah. damn good. It's always, it's a, this was well thought out. And ever since, ever since, uh, Yoshi is, you know, been the president and all the stuff they come up with, all the Waza stuff and all the all the new products since he's been around. Um, again, uh, they've been great. Yeah, top well, top notch stuff. Top notch, well thought out. Uh, he doesn't generally make something that's crappy, but he's a guitar player too, so he plays. Mm. Yep, yep. Um, we got a, we've had a couple of repeat questions, so I want to make sure we get to them. Uh, Harmonicaster, Dave, are the Chinese-made Celestion Vintage 30s any good? Well, they're the only ones that are made. Oh, okay. The, the, <laughs> the, the, I mean, the uh, UK ones were made for Mesa Boogie, but it was a different design. So currently, the only Vintage 30 available for a million years now has been Chinese. So, they, I mean, are they different than the old ones? It's impossible to tell because you don't have a new old one. So I was talking but, to Steve right, about those true, vintage yeah. 30s, yeah. and he's convinced that not all vintage 30s are the same either. No. There's at least two sort of varieties of vintage 30. There's, like, the better-sounding vintage 30 and then the, the like, nah-sounding vintage 30. Yeah. So, which, I don't know. How do you tell the difference? It's hard hard to say. I mean, there's the ones that Marshall used, which weren't vintage 30s. They say Marshall vintage on them. It's Mm -hmm. a different speaker. It's not a vintage 30. 
And then there was the ones that back in the day that we used all the time that was a great sounding vintage 30. Is the Chinese different? Well, you can find, just go on YouTube. Plenty of comparison videos. So the vintage 30, though, has been around since like the mid 80s? Is that? It's 30 around 88. That's when it came. It came out around then. Huh. Okay. And what was the main speaker before that? Like in is it go mid eighties? Greenbacks. Yeah. Okay. Sixty-five watt Celestians and Greenbacks and stuff like that. Thirty watt Celestians. Greenbacks. I remember Sykes at his gig. He rented a. He brought his Cameron modded or not Cameron modded. Uh, Jose modded uh, Marshalls. He's like, I won't play without my Jose modded, modded Marshalls, and and his four twelves were rented, and he requested hundred watt uh, speakers in each of them. So I don't know, even know what a hundred watt Celestion is, um, but they didn't have a hundred watt Celestians in them. Mm-hmm. I think they had seventy five watt, and then he uh, the tech wired it up, and it was like, oh, he, he's he's like, I like this. This is kind of cool. Is there a hundred watt? Celestion? There is a, there's a, yeah, there is a 100 watt Celestion. I, I know Diesel uses it in some cabinets. But at oh. the time, there wasn't a 100 watt Celestion. Hmm. Oh, okay. If he was asking for a 100 watt cab, which would be he, green. I think it was a 100 watt. Oh, you know, with him, who knows? Yeah. So. Hmm. Uh, Islander Winder says, Dave, have you, did you ever get your EL34 problem sorted out? Yeah, we use EH EL34s. Electro harmonics. Very reliable for for actually the most reliable that we've used. That's good. Yeah. And does that seem to be like across the board like if I'm going to get a 12AX7, do I buy an EH 12AX7 or do I get a Sobtech 12AX7? Uh, it depends. <laughs> it depends so is it a, it depends it's on the Chinese 12AX7s across the board are generally great, but in the, you generally can't use them in first stages of amps because they're pretty microphonic in general. So um, sometimes you can if you pick through a bunch. Um, but there's various other things like Sobtech WB preamp tubes are pretty cool sounding. The tongue sole preamp tubes are pretty cool sounding. We use JJ in the first slot. Not the greatest sounding, but the least microphonic of everything. And in production, it's the only thing we can really use reliably. Um, but after the fact, you can always play with preamp tube and you know get different sounds. Mm-hmm. So they all they all have a sound. Mm. Uh, LPS, LPS, the Sobtech LPS ones, 12X7 LPS, those are cool. They're longer plates. They're good for phase inverters and things. Uh, Deja Blue, will oil penetrate a roasted maple neck? Yeah, it should. It should, yeah. I mean, I, it, when, I, when I got this neck, it's roasted maple with a rose, rosewood board. Um, I, I stained it, and it, it worked fine. Yeah. Yep. Did you okay, Dave? So you've heard probably hundreds and hundreds of guitars now that have different woods. Like, yeah. 
I would say a year ago there was just that huge uh, internet guitar internet nerdation of uh, guitar tone woods. Mm-hmm. Of like, oh, it doesn't matter, and people trying to disprove it. Um, oh, I, I don't know. To, to me, it's like I'll, I'll always like, okay, well, I know my telly is ash and it has a sound. Mm-hmm. Mahogany seems to have a sound. You've probably heard a bunch of guitars, the same model in different woods. Yeah. Do you hear a sound? Do you, have you recognized yeah. a sound in the woods? No, of course. The For woods, whatever reason. Woods sound totally different. Um Hard to explain. I mean, I, I personally love for like Strat and Tele style guitars. I really like Alder. Alder is very even and sort of not too bright, not too bassy, really full and punchy in the mids. Uh, not mid rangey, but more even, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and solid, solid sound. Ashes tends to be a little more scoop sounding, a little more like crispy tops and bigger bottoms. Mm-hmm. Um, when you start getting maple capped on top of stuff, that starts. I mean, like uh, uh, mahogany sounds very woody and thick, sort of. Um, but when you start putting maple caps on it, then it, it kind of gives some snap back to it. Mm. Uh, um, and then when you're talking like basswood, basswood is a softer wood. It's uh, uh, basswood is kind of cool sounding for like a hard rock kind of thing. Um, a lot of 80s guitars like Abinezas and things for basswood, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I like a little more cut than that though. And then you start getting into the maples for bodies and things which are hard, like, you know, George Lynch always used maple bodies. Mm. And, uh, Cantrell's guitars were maple bodies. But it's a very hard, punchy, punchy sound. So is Northern Ash, similar to Maple. Uh, heavy and very dense and mm-hmm. very brutally smack you in the face, you know? Um, but that can be super cool in, in some... Depends on what you're going for, you know? And do you think that roast, roasting the wood changes the tonality of it? Good question. I don't have enough experience with that to really know. I, theoretically, taking the moisture out of the wood is probably better. Um, but, you know, I kind of feel that way with old 412s. The, 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 the ones that are old and dried out are kind of really hollow sounding. And, like, mm-hmm. when you tap on them, they almost sound like a drum in some respects. And, and those sound amazing, generally. But it's the wood is really dried out and old. Yeah, interesting. Also, Tolex on a cabinet or no Tolex on a cabinet sounds different. Right, there's the famous Dave Friedman cabinet that has no Tolex left on it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean the cabinet. We've tried this. We tried it with two different you know sets of cabinets, and we've tried this before, and it 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 resonates differently. Sounds different without the Tolex. It makes sense. If you put Tolex in your guitar, would it sound different? Yeah. Probably. I think so. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, it'd be muffled. Um, sort, of, sort of like that in some respects, yeah. Deja, Less lively. What's that? Less lively. Yep. Uh, Deja Blue, ETA on the Jakey Lee amp and Saldano Slows coming out. 
I don't know. I have Jakey Lee's main guitar sitting here right now waiting for him to come and do some final tweaks. So. I, I got to play that the other day. Yeah. And, I mean, that was so, like such a treat because you never get to, to like, touch a, a, a master's instrument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in some ways it was just a guitar, which was a little bit of a bummer. It was like, oh, there's, again, there's no trick to it. Like, his action was higher than I thought it would be. And, mm-hmm. like, he just is a great player. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think most 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 um, good players, and you can probably attest to this too with Philip and everything. Most great players' action is quite high. Yeah, that's what I've found. Because they like to get in a live, at least how they've expressed it to me, is in a live, uh, you know, live show. They like to get under the string. If it's too mm-hmm. low, the finger just slips off the string. They can't get under it. And um, you know they're sweaty and everything, and they can't get under, you know, and 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 that's the uh, that's the thing. I've been told that a million times. And also, I remember Steve Steven tells was telling me he goes, "It sounds different. Try it. Mm-hmm. And it. If you have your action really low and you're listening to this guitar, and then you raise that action to quite high, the tone actually gets better. Not like brushing against the frets. It's not you know it's it, it's 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 a more sustain everything it, opens, it gets better it opens up it opens up it's different yeah yeah my best sounding guitars are not the easiest to play yeah i have to fight them hmm. for sure so, but then i fight against that and i'm like oh i'd sure like to have a, a something that's a, so much easier to play and then yeah. it, it's a kind of a trade off right yeah so, i also pick kind of hard Typically, uh, which is kind of why I jump back between um, picks. So, like, uh, I would like a hard pick and a, a, a really strong attack. But the the like the orange Dunlops really kind of like lighten up my attack. So yeah. Like, string gauge kind of helps with that. Mm-hmm. You yeah, there's a balance like, between between string gauge and pick thickness. Yeah, yeah, you had mentioned on a podcast so before about Eddie using like light gauge strings cranked into a Marshall and thin with pitch. gauge. Yeah, it's like, oh, that totally makes sense. Well, <laughs> yeah, it, it dawned on me one day. It was like, well, wait a minute. So, like, you know, one of the when when the um, the Fender EVH ones came out, you know, it was it was small frets, nine gauge turned to E flat. I mean, if you strike that string too hard, it's just like, you know, it's it's all over the place, you know, and uh, and uh, and but the small frets made sense because the gauge of the string and the tuning. If you had large frets, you'd be pulling it out of tune by just pressing down on the fret, you know. Yeah. And, and then again, also the light pick made sense because if you used a super thick pick with that string gauge and that tuning. And you're just putting it out of tune by striking the string once. So it all made sense. Yeah, yeah you know what? Like seeing Philip Sace and John Sykes and and like Eric Gales play not plugged in, just acoustically on the guitar, that was like the most revelation kind of things of like, oh, they still sound they sound amazing. Yeah. Not plugged in. Yeah. Exactly the same. 
Did you ever hear that Stephen Rosen interview with with uh, Eddie Van Halen from around nineteen uh, Fair Warning era? Or no, maybe it was before that. Van Halen Two era? I can't remember. Yeah. Van Halen Two era. That's where it was. Where he's like playing playing acoustically. Yeah, he's playing acoustically on the guitar and showing like the new riffs and noodling around on this guitar, and he's playing acoustically. Or maybe it was an amp. I don't know, but clean amp if anything I, I don't quite remember now and I mean tapping pick harmonics everything that you heard on the record but totally clean right <laughs> and like and you heard everything the tapping everything and 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 all the the harmonics and and the pick squeals and everything clean there's no faking it they just do it and, and yeah. I go that's his hands that's just him. Yeah. Him. Just plug him into whatever, and he sounds like him. Yeah. Robert Baker and I were we were joking about Richie Kotzen the other day. Oh, he's great. Yeah. It's like this guy who's like 17, 18 years old, and he could do anything mm-hmm. on the guitar. He mm-hmm. actually was my neck, one of my best friend's next door neighbors, too. And he had always said he could pick up any stringed instrument, and he just picks it up what no matter what it's tuned to and he just starts playing music with it <laughs> but i think there's some people that the physical part of it is instantaneous right like it's not for me i've still been practicing the the crossroads suite i've been doing that for for 25 years and i'm still not even close to to getting it but i think some of those people just get it they're like the michael jordans mm-hmm. where they're able to do it and they get they can just focus on the music they're like, oh, the technical part's so easy. It's mm-hmm. just, it is what it is. Yeah. And now I could focus on what I'm playing instead of like how I'm actually doing it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. Some people have that innate talent, you know? Yeah. Um, it's a bummer because sometimes you want to think like, oh, I can play all this Nuno Betancourt stuff. Yeah. But like, I've been working on this shit for. 30 years <laughs> I know it's not it's it's sometimes you're just like like you said you just want to put the guitar down and be like alright fuck it <laughs> yeah um, there's people like Angus Young and stuff where you like, you sound like a badass and not have to like worry about the like really that hardcore technical stuff right just right. focus on the being uh, the cool shit yeah <laughs> By the way, we've had several questions, Dave, about uh, Jake's guitar that's with you. So, is it the white one or the blue one? And can you show it to us? And it's the white one, and I'm not going to show it. Okay. Sorry. Okay. I tell you, it looks exactly like the white one. <laughs> it is because <the> <laughs> it is the white one. <laughs> yeah. Cool. That's cool. Uh, Flash Grover says, Dave, uh, how about some other junior amps? Any chance of a Steve Stevens 100 Junior? Don't know. We'll see what the future, you know, maybe. So that's one I haven't played. Like, I haven't played any of the Steve Stevens. And Steve Stevens lent his amps to Steve Vai for Eat Him and Smile. Is is that an amp? Like, how did the Steve Stevens uh, Friedman amp come to be? Is it based on his Marshalls? Or is it something where it's like, you had the BE, and you're like, let me just no, dial we it started, into what we started you want. with a BE and circuit kind of, and we tweaked it for his own taste, what he liked. It was a little different, a little fatter, a little smoother. Mm. 
has an audio taper treble pod, so it's a little darker to begin with. Oh, but okay. It, it's not really darker. It's just the taper of the treble pod. Would sort of like the, how, the, how, how the Bogner Ecstasy is. It's like the treble pod is an audio taper. So it's, it's really kind of a dark amp to get it up higher. Dark, darker than the BE standard. Yeah. Oh. Sure. Oh, that's interesting. Well, until you turn the knob up to where, you know, like a quarter turn different, kind of. So. Right. And, and Dave, do you, uh, I see that uh, Roxy Depew mentioned the ohms. Do you run, I, I just run at eight ohms because I figure, like, if I fuck up, at least I'm only like one notch shifted over. Um, and it, nothing too bad will happen. Where do you run your amps at when you're like voicing them? 16 ohms to 16 ohm cap. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Do you use an 8 ohm in the 16 ohm cap? I'm, no, I'm 8 at an 8 ohm cap. Oh, yeah. That sounds different. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So it does. Sound, it does sound different if you're because someone uh, Roxy Deplu said, "Why does EVH prefer 16 ohm cabs? What's the tone difference?" Eight ohm cabs to me seem like they have a lot more mid range to them, and the 16 ohm cabs seem bigger sounding, a little more, you know, scoop. Not scooped per se, but more scooped. That's interesting. Well, yeah, well, as a person that has plugged. A hundred watt power amp into a uh, audio interface. I'm worried about having the ability to plug into like the wrong ohms, also. So you can do that with eight, though, too, right? No, I guess. That, well, I have done that with eight. You don't have to worry too much. As long as there's a load on the amp, it's probably not going to hurt it. Oh, okay. It's not too mismatched. So. Okay. The, the most like liberating thing for me ever was I watched some video and I don't even know if it's true uh, about the bypass switch. And they're like, ah, that bypass switch is bullshit. Like oh, standby switch. Yeah, the standby switch. Yeah, it is bullshit. Oh, okay, great. That's this is the most liberating thing of like you got to put the standby switch, you got to yeah. wait two minutes, and then you could turn your yeah. amp off. I'm like, ah, both off. Flip it off, flip yep. it on. It's no problem. That's how I've been doing it. Yeah. Um, what about grill? It's actually easier, to be honest, it's actually sort of easier on the tubes to actually just flip them on or off because the tube, it's not like it gets a surge. It all slowly comes up and slowly drops down. It, it, it actually gets more of a surge when the tube is up and then you just flip the, the standby and it just gets high voltage all of a sudden. Hmm. So, interesting. I mean, that's not that's really neat. It's a glorified mute circuit. I mean, I have it on, on a lot of my amps, but it's it's just because, just because. It's like tradition. People like to see it, and it's a mute. <laughs> uh, Cecil Music says, "What about the grill cloth? Like the basket weave on orange cabs? Will that attend? Yeah, makes a difference." Uh, yeah, thicker thicker grill cloth, uh, more uh, attenuation of highs. Sure. Is the butter slacks thick? That that's a fancy. No, that's, that's a no. It's a, like the standard um, checkerboard stuff. Not that thick. No. Oh, okay. Kind of thin. The the vintage cabs we have have a, a thick 
kind of cane on them. So I like, like I mean, Mark, I love Mark 412s. 10. I like 112s. 212s are a zone that I'm kind of like, mm, I'm not sure. Like, what's your take? Really good. Okay. I don't know. Sometimes I like it even better. Mm. I remember we were doing a bunch of clinics and a couple times we had two twelves and I'm like, you know, I think that cuts better. It's kind of better. <laughs> is is there a Friedman two twelve or is there multiple there's models of? There's a Friedman two twelve. Yeah. Okay. The only multiple models have different grill cloth. It's the same model. Oh, okay. I don't even know if this is a serious question. Vintage Sounds. Hey, Dave Freeman, I'm running a 100-watt head into a 32-ohm 2x12. If you're running into a 32-ohm 2x12, you have it wired wrong. I've never heard of a 32-ohm 2x12. Well, it's two 16-ohm speakers wired in series. That's incorrect. Wire them in parallel to make it 8 ohms. Uh. 32 is probably not great for your amp. Wow, I've never even heard of that. Interesting. Okay. Someone, someone probably just shoved two six. It was probably wired originally uh, for two 8-ohm speakers in series, which would equal 16 ohms. And then someone at some point in time replaced the two speakers with two 16-ohm speakers. And didn't change the wiring. Change the wiring, yeah. Did your Friedman cabin or uh, Celestium ever come out? No, because I'm not totally happy with it yet. Mm, okay. And I haven't revisited it yet. So. What what ships like if you buy a 412 cab from Free? Two vintage 30s and two greenbacks in it. Greenbacks in the top, vintage 30s in the bottom. And you prefer the Chinese greenbacks? Well, there are no Chinese greenbacks anymore. Oh. They're, they're made the same greenback is back now and made in England. Oh, okay. So now, pretty much the only guitar speaker made in China is is the Vintage Thirty. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, this is funny. I remember this amp. Uh, Jimmy Bitter or Biter says the PV Classic Two Twelve is a nice cab, or the PV Wiggy cab. Remember that amp, the Wiggy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a solid state. Yeah, something to do with Dweezil Zappa. Yeah, it was yeah. a Dweezil Zappa thing. Yeah. It looked like uh, Happy Days. Yes. Uh, like 50s, old 50s car kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of like rounded. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, right. It was like this rounded top. Yeah. 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 It was cool. I never heard one, how it sounded. But. You know, there's a, you you can make a killer solid state amp. It's not going to sound like a, a Friedman, but you can make it super vibey. Like, there's the old PV amps. Like, they're really cool. You want to know the coolest solid state amp I've worked on ever? Okay, can I guess? I'm going to guess. I think the coolest solid state amp is the little Marshall head that's about this big. Well, that was cool. But uh, in recent times, I worked on Neil Young's Baldwin Exterminator. Hmm. I don't even know what that is. Baldwin Exterminator is huge. It, it it's like stands five feet tall, pretty much. <laughs> or 
or four and a half feet tall or whatever. And it has uh, it's stereo, and it has two uh, in each side. It's like a, a, a fifteen, a twelve, and an eight or something or something like that. Holy crud! I just found it on on Google Images. And, and it looks like something that came out of an old bowling alley. Huh. And uh, and he uses that in conjunction with his uh, you know his Tweed Deluxe and stuff. And um, man, we got it working right, and it's a solid state amp, but we got it working right, and it had this uniquely cool sparkle and the reverb was amazing and the trim was cool and it, it did this uh, and even it distorted really cool also it, it was like you know very much old you know crappy amp style you know yeah you know but man was it cool and, and like I, when I was done with it I was like god I kind of want one now god, that's that cool insane so, it was cool sounding man it was cool sounding I mean, I can get my PV musician to sound like Black Sabbath. I mean, the funny thing about that amp was when you stand next to it and it's like up to your chest, right? You see that there's one handle on top. <laughs> and you're like, going to carry that. No wheels, no nothing. What is the one handle on top for? Pulling it down so that someone could grab it from the bottom or something? <laughs> I don't know. You, you need a giant from Game of Thrones or something, you know, to lift up the, the, the amp, you know? It's nuts, and it's got the five-color little... Oh, it's it's awesome. If anything, it's just awesome to look at. That's amazing. But it, was, it was amazing sounding. It was really cool. Uh, I, I, I got it after I heard it. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. <laughs> um, Neil Young, though, I mean, I, I he's one of those guys that as a kid I was like poo-pooed. Like the Rolling Stones and Neil Young were in the same bucket for me yeah, yeah, until yeah. I got much later, and it was like, oh, I heard Cortez the Killer, and I heard the uh, Get Your Yayas from Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. It was, oh, these guys are the shit. Yeah, They're incredible. Yeah, you yeah. know Neil Young. Like that's interesting you say that because uh, with Crazy Horse, I never got into it at all, but I really loved his acoustic stuff. But his harder rocking stuff didn't do it for me, you know. Really, like, because the, the the Crazy Horse I think is where he had a great album with Cortez the Killer and um, the Rockin' in the Free World. And I remember hating Rockin' in the Free World when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah. But now when I hear it, I'm like, oh, he's he's destroying with like three chords. No, it's great. It's great. But I, I but to me when I from like quintessential Neil Young is like you know the needle and the damage done and you know that stuff you know the acoustic the acoustic stuff. stuff yeah for me at least I have to go back and do some homework I, that, that's least. that's more, more my favorite Neil Young stuff but just you know everybody has their their, their stuff but um, yeah uh, Robert Baker has a question anyone ever play an Ingve Rhino amp when he wasn't with Marshall I had no I idea. didn't I didn't remember that even. Me either. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have no recollection of that. Uh, PV VTM 60 was awesome. Well, we talked about that with uh, with James Brown. Yeah, VTM are great. <sighs> totally cool amp. That's uh, like the secret uh, 
uh, Soundgarden amp, isn't it? The VTM like 120 or something? It might be. I know it had that because um, uh, James told us that it, it, it he, he like copied basically a Jose modded Marshall for that. Right, with the faceplate and the little dip switches. Yeah, the little dip switches. Kind of yeah. dial in. Yep. It was a, it was kind of a, a, a in between eight hundred slash Jose. It was a there was in some modes it was very close to a, uh, Jose. There was so there was elements taken off the original Butcher amp that they had, which was an eight hundred, mm-hmm. and the Jose amp with the power section is a little different. I have one. I bought one. Oh, you still, oh, really? You do have one, really? I have one. Yeah, it's pretty good sounding, actually. That's cool. Yeah. They're not expensive. I mean, if you could find one. No, it, but you know what? It, it's the heaviest amp ever known to mankind, and it has nothing to do with the amp. If you take the amp out of the head box and just try <laughs> to pick up the head box, it's made of particle board and it's super thick sides. It is so heavy, the head box alone, that you're like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, PV did that. They would just make their boxes just so freaking heavy. Oh, it was bulletproof, but boy, man, was it heavy. <laughs> so Brian Landeth says, who hasn't owned a PV Bandit? PV Bandit 112, that was my first amp. And my first pedal was the Marshall Governor pedal. Mm. Um, I had a PV Renown 212. Renown. How are you? Yeah, Mark, that was well, the first were, amp, though. That was the second amp. Mark, you were older when you got into guitar, guitar amps? Yeah, yeah. So, was it a PV? No, I, I actually my first amp was a Squire. Oh, okay. Yeah, got a little Squire amp with the Squire guitar. Mine, mine was a, a Fender Silverface Deluxe Reverb. Oh, dang! Well, that's a pretty music good. Master guitar, and and a, a plastic MXR Overdrive pedal. Yeah, but that's probably going to sound pretty good. That's a good rig. Yeah, unfortunately, I wish I still had it. Yeah, I have plastic MXR overdrive though. I rebought it just for nostalgia's sake. <laughs> I've never seen a plastic one. Yeah, the, com- uh, the command series that was called. They were all plastic. Oh, the whole gosh. box was plastic. The switch was plastic. Everything. Hmm. And uh, and they were uh, they sounded great though. They were still like the MXR circuits. You know, the phaser and the flanger all sound cool. Um, but uh, but kind of a hunk of crap. <laughs> I'll show it to you next time you come over. Ask me to show it to you. All right. Have you ever heard a um, the Marshall Governor pedal? Yeah, it's great. It's really great. Yeah. I just yep. rebought it, um, just for shits and giggles, and it's it's phenomenal. Is it? Did you get an older one or the uh, like the reissue later on? Um. Well, I got the the big fat, the giant one. Um. With the the 80s lines across it okay that yeah, yeah. Like Airwolf. yeah 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 because they had um, they had re they reissued it at some point i remember when that was one of the first pedals that i had gotten which was a that it was more in like a a newer enclosure um oh that's right they had sort of like a smaller roundy yeah it was like silver yeah they had a couple of lines of or a couple pedals in that line um Dave, is the VTM you have a 120 or a 60? Uh, six. Yeah. 
Sixty, I think. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah, I I looked at the VTMs after James was on the show. I was like, oh, maybe I'll pick one one of those babies up. But yeah, I got it cheap. Did you buy it locally or had it shipped? No, I had it shipped. Really? Uh, Bjorn says we should have Dan Huff on. I agree. I agree too. That'd be great. I don't know him, so if someone knows him, get him on the show for us. Might Every be. interview I've yeah. seen, though, he's he's very non like guitar nerdy. He's and which I I feel like when you get yeah, that good at music, guitar. you're not that guitar nerdy. You're like music nerdy. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know, he's got all the tones and stuff, but it's really like he's so musicy. Like he could plug into anything and be like, oh yeah, that's Dan Huff. I want to have Brendan O'Brien on. Yeah, no doubt. That would be amazing. Maybe we'll have Michael I, back to be a, a guest co-host. <laughs> I just drool the whole time. Best uh, question. <laughs> so Brendan, I had read in a STP article, like he plays guitar. They said like he's a really good guitar player and drummer. And drummer. Yeah, hmm. and keyboard player. He's just one of those guys. He's just good. He's yeah, he's, he's a great musician. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Um, so how do you, well, when, yeah. when you because you can make anything? I'm guessing, Dave. You could just wake up and be like, "I'm going to make this." You don't go on to reverb every morning, and no. go like, "I'm well, I'm hoping <laughs> I could get a, a three hundred dollar uh, amp." Uh, I do. But there's go an amp that's like the cost of a pedal. I do go on. No. Yeah, I do go on reverb though, and and you know I love searching by eras. You know, uh, you know how you on reverb you can search by you know a uh, uh, time era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like effects pedals, seventies uh, or eighties, and then you look at all the effects pedals, and it's yeah. kind of scrolling through, and you're like, "Ooh, that one looks cool. Maybe I'll buy that one today." <laughs> Click. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. It's like, wow, look at that old Maxon phaser. Oh, I want that. That's, Click. That's mine. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, I come sometimes I just want to buy something. I'll just I'll just go on there and just like look around and if something really kind of floats my boat, I'll just buy it. I mean, generally not expensive stuff, you know, but you know, $150 pedals or something, no big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll buy it. But you're not out there buying amps though. I'm not buying amps. I, I don't know. I, I see enough amps. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to, but everything I really like is like, you know, $10,000 or something. So, like, what what is your your dream amp? I mean, you could build your any amp you want, but is there a dream amp? Is it a Jose mod or is it a... No, like... I already have it. It's my, it's my Plexi 50-watt Marshall. Okay. And that's, that's, that's one, the top. That's what everything's based off of. God. So, sorry, have it. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, we've had people asking us to have some guests on. Uh, Paul Rivera would be good. From Rand- Randall, yep. Randall Martin Smith. Kidd from Martin Kidd from Victory Amps. That'd be cool. I love Martin. He's a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, we'll we'll get to it. Yeah. This. We've, we've, and we're still waiting for Delana Scott. Delana will come on, hopefully. Uh, we haven't asked her yet, but hopefully she'll come on. 
Um, so yeah, we actually have uh, the next set of guests. Actually, uh, let me pull it up because uh, I don't remember shit. Um, so June seventh is John Cusack from Cusack Pedals, not the actor from the eighties. Um, and then June twenty eighth, we've got Nilly Brosh. You know Nilly, um, Michael Nielsen. Uh, no. Uh, Nilly, uh, she's a Israeli guitar player, female guitar player. She, she rips. She's has she guested with um, with Pete a, a couple times? No, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. No. Um, no. I'm not she, sure. That she played uh, in Michael Jackson's uh, Cirque du Soleil show in Vegas for several years. Oh, dang. Yeah, so yeah, she's just a great player. Uh, so she's awesome. coming. She's coming on, and then um, we've got, uh, you know, um, Chris Van Tassel from J Rocket Audio. We're going to get him on, and uh, who else? Um, I think there's a few others that I can't remember right now, but it's all in the works. So we'll have more guests soon. Um, cool. So, yeah. So let's see. Are there any other questions uh, for Michael um, before we wrap up? How about the owner of Wizard Amps? Yeah, sure. That'd be great. Oh, yeah, and uh, Nelly toured with Tony McAlpine. Dang. Yeah, so you know she's got to be good. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, let's see. Michael, are you thinking of Larry Basillo? Oh, that, yeah, Larry Basillo was the uh, guitar player who was with Pete for a little bit. Uh, is she Brazilian? Yes. That's totally who I'm thinking of. Yeah. And she's amazing. Amazing. Such, such good feel. Yeah, she's really, really... You know who... Dave, you met her, right? Larry Basilla? Yes. Mm-hmm. She's not bad to yeah. look at either. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, it's so nice when she smiles when she plays. Like, I make the worst faces when I play because <laughs> guitar is really hard. <laughs> So it's just like, oh, this is so hard to do. Yeah, and she's smiling, and she's got this great smile, and she's just playing like, you know, like this is so easy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Um, Oh yeah, all right. And then we're also going to have uh, Pete Thorne and Holly Henderson on. Yeah, that's that's coming soon too. So uh, I think we've exhausted all the questions. Oh, someone, uh, Braxel asked me, should I take my master volume out of my 50-watt 72 Marshall? Yes. Put it to stock. Use an attenuator. Mm-hmm. Get a power mm-hmm. station. Yeah, get a power station. Actually, to be honest, even the Rivera Rock Crusher does a really nice job. Dan Pfeiffer says, still on? Damn, I went to a baseball game and back, and Tone Talk is still going. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we're long-winded, but we're wrapping it up now, Dan. <laughs> A baseball game, too. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. All um, right. Uh, oh, Guitar Goon Network. Uh, Brendan is a wicked guitar player. Wish he'd come to Atlanta. Good good uh, seeing you, Keith. Hope you're doing good. Um, all right, well, we'll wrap it up. Michael, thank you so much for coming on, man. Oh, thank you guys. That was fun. You're awesome. Um, Thanks for indulging my questions, guys. Oh, oh, no, man. You didn't go too deep. 
I'll, I uh, ask more rat questions. Well, I'll, I'll nerd out another time. I'll go deeper. <laughs> um, yeah, so guys, please hit the subscribe button and uh, thumbs up if you can. But please subscribe to the channel. Um, hit the bell so you get the notifications when we go live. Uh, make sure you subscribe to Michael's channel, Big Harry Guitars. Uh, he's got great videos. He's a really funny guy. I love your videos, Michael. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, and uh, your, your Skype uh, address is, is great, too. Assman6960. <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. You had me cracking up this morning when I saw that. I was just like, okay. <laughs> that, made, that made me laugh. That, that started my morning off good. Um, good. Yeah, so thanks for coming on, uh, guys. Check out his channel, and uh, we'll be back with you in a couple weeks. All right. Hey, thanks for everyone for uh, coming on and watching. I thought there would be like two people there if we were lucky. So we uh, stay, I appreciate. Stay, stay on a minute, Michael, while we close out here. Yeah, for we sure. we still have 133 people watching, so we've got a we've got a nice crowd of people. So you guys have a great weekend. Everybody enjoy the weekend. Thanks got for it. thanks for watching the show, and uh, I'm going to hang up now, and we'll talk later. Take care.